Give me a T. T. Give me an E. E. Give me an A. A. Give me an M. M. What do you got? Team. There is no team like the best team, which is our team right here. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Casey. And this is Too Much Film School. Today we're going to be talking about The Avengers. That's Marvel's Avengers, not the Sean Connery, Uma Thurman film from 1994. That grand opus that we all surely remember. I'm sure a lot of you out there are going to be disappointed that that's not the one we're talking about. Tune in later, I'm sure we'll get around (laughs) to that epic, epic film. It made 200 and something million dollars on its first weekend, which is a large number, the largest opening weekend of all time in the United States. And I kind of feel like... A lot of people were shocked by that, but I kind of feel like you've got four different superheroes all in this, uh, at, and then a couple of like normal-powered people. But you've got four separate movies leading into this one movie. Captain America made $175 million, and Thor made $181 million over the course of their theatrical run. But that's not the same $175 million worth of people. There's, there's some overlap, certainly. But there's probably like a good $25 million worth of people that saw one and didn't see the other. And when you combine four different movies into one sequel, of course you're going to get $200 right. million. Like, But not in the first three days. Like that was, again, <laughs> Thor and Captain America, their entire run. Uh, this was Avengers three days. Granted, but this is also more... It, it does seem like the Avengers was... Iron Man 3, because that was the most popular one. All the marketing sort of was like, hey, did you know Robert Downey Jr. was in this? And some other guys. There's people Uh, that smash things. But it's it's mostly it's mostly him. But again, there's still there are some people who only saw Thor and did not see the other three and thought, I'm gonna go see that movie with Thor in it. And uh, you add up enough of you add up four movies into one sequel, you get two hundred and seven million on opening weekend and all well, they're well on their way to making a uh, four hundred million just in the United States. Yeah, I think it was very impressive to see that uh, record-breaking opening weekend. But then I also uh, know that it cost two hundred and twenty million to make. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, they're they're still in the hole. Let's uh, <laughs> keep going, people. Well, you add in foreign because they released it overseas a week before we got to see it in America, which is very unusual. Yeah. But uh, you add all those numbers together, they, they made their money. No, right. It's going to do a billion plus uh, easily, um, or may already be over a billion. So, yeah, no, it's going to make money. It's just, I remember reading the $207 million it made and going like, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. But when you throw that much money into the budget, <laughs> like, it had better make that. <laughs> or else people would be in trouble. Uh, so it, it is sort of fun that Joss Sweden's last movie, Serenity... Only <clears throat> was made for only thirty million dollars or something like that, uh, and I don't know if it even made its budget back by the end yeah. of the production run. Uh, and the the Avengers, his budget was eight times as large. Serenity didn't seem like that much smaller of a movie. It still had space battles and lasers and stuff, uh, and quippy heroes punching people. It, it's amazing to me how. Little $220 million buys. I would say that actually Avengers is very polished for it. Like, you can get to kind of either Serenity for that much or Iron Man 1 or 2 for, you know, 100 some odd million that they had. But what I thought, what I really liked about Avengers was that the amount of polish on it. Like, there was not one shot where I went, oh, that was a poor effect shot. Or even just the 
textual quality, the, the visuals was very impressive. Like some of the shots had kind of a patina to them or, you know, would bring in a bleach bypass look to them for like some of the battle scenes. And that extra 10%, I think, is really costs a lot to do and if you look at the number of credits they just go on for three hours <laughs> because there are that many people just polishing the dirt that flies at the lens when the lasers hit the ground you know in the half a second explosion shot when you know they're fighting in the middle of new york i will take exception to your idea that there was no point at which the movie did not seem polished because the opening sequence to me was really disappointing the layer that they're in Kind of looks like a set from Buffy. It looked like the initiative. It didn't seem that big. There was like three extras walking around, and they had like four or five computer carts sitting in the middle of the room trying to make it look like it, trying to fill up the space. It didn't really work for me. And then once the battle started, it was uh, once Loki shows up and starts killing people and, and laser blasts going everywhere, it was just quick close ups of things that I didn't even know what I was looking at. And it, it looked like television style editing where they don't have a lot of time to do sweeping battle shots so they get a bunch of close-ups and inserts and they slap them together in quick editing and hope that you feel excited which is fine in television when you have eight days to shoot a movie i don't know how long the the schedule for avengers was but they spent several months shooting it the movie that first sequence i was really worried i was like i don't know what's going on with this movie this this looks as bad as, like, G.I. Joe to me. It's funny that you bring that up because that was, I feel, the weakest scene and I was somewhat uh, hesitant getting into it. It felt, uh, I didn't like it as much specifically for, I thought, the base and a lot of the S.H.I.E.L.D. initiative people just reminded me of G.I. Joe. Like, we yeah. hadn't seen them in action before. They were always hinted at in the background or there's Agent Coulson or Nick Fury showing up and they're implied in a lot of the other movies but or all the other movies, but we never see them being the aggressors or being, you know, the primary one we're watching. And so, yeah, watching that opening sequence, I thought it was closer to Thor. I mean, it looked like kind of the same base where he goes to retrieve his hammer and, you know, Hawkeye draws his bow at him but doesn't shoot. Yes, the one in Thor was more of a temporary base they set around the uh, hammer, and so it kind of passed there. But still, this this was just like that in a campus. It was still kind of... A few people milling about in tactical vests and things. Uh, and Colby Smulders shows up, which just stuck out like crazy for the first 20 or 30 minutes of the movie because she's from How I Met Your Mother. That's the and only place else. I know her from. Do you not remember her from uh, the the music videos uh, in the 90s? She was Robin Sparkles. Oh, right. No, yeah. <laughs> Big Canadian pop star. But uh, so she's just stuck out. I'm like, why is she here? This is really distracting. And then I thought she was going to even die in the, the collapsing of the base. And then she comes, she roll, does a shoulder roll Star Trek style and like gets <laughs> out of this collapsing tunnel. I'm like, huh, she's going to be here this whole time. And then later on, I actually figured out what uh, was coming and why she was there. I did not because my wife insisted that she was the, what, what Curly likes to call the Harry Hamlin role, which is... Why would that person be in this movie unless they're the bad guy? <laughs> and she oh, really? was she was sure that Colby Smulders was going to turn out to be a turncoat and working with Loki. But what ends up happening, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, uh, uh, Agent Coulson dies, and she will basically be the new Agent Coulson for the rest of the Marvel movies. 
Yeah, she was taking, uh, you know, notes and being an assistant to Nick Fury, which we had seen uh, Agent Coulson or Black Widow doing in the previous movies. So she was now filling that role. And it made sense that, you know, Scarlett Johansson's character is now in the Avengers and so can't fill that. But it was still odd in the beginning for why she was there yeah. um, and stuck out. So, yes, I'll give you that that but, was but, a cold opening. And yet it only put it on par to me with any of the other films up to this point. Like, it didn't feel worse than Hulk uh, or The Incredible Hulk or man. Thor. Like, so I was like, okay, this works, I guess. It's not. That's probably true, except... Thor was directed by Kenneth Branagh, and there was nothing in Hamlet that made me think that Thor was going to be really awesome, versus all of the stuff that Joss Whedon has done in the past with Firefly, Serenity, the Buffy show. Uh, I had really high expectations for it, and he was steeped into the comic book nerddom. I really expected him to, to be flawless, and for that opening scene, I was crushed. I was like, oh, this is going to be the worst thing. This movie's going to make $3 at the box office. Justine's going to go back and make another show for Fox that gets canceled after 13 episodes. Like, it's all going wrong now. Nice. Uh, it sounded like you were having anxiety. <laughs> I did. I had... Every minute, each new scene. Wait, is this... How is the future of Joss Whedon going to be? I actually left the theater, and then people came out and said the movie was good. I went back in and watched a different there you go. showing of it. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, I should mention, speaking of the theater, I didn't see it in 3D. There's your problem. That opening scene was built in 3D. <laughs> oh, the stuff flying out of the screen. Did you watch the... I did not see it in 3D. It was shot in 2D, should be seen in 2D. I, I, if people like 3D, go ahead and see it. Pay the extra money. For me, it starts off It's interesting. like watching a colorized movie. Why would you... I, Sure. <laughs> I don't have the moral objections that you clearly do. I uh, guess you could shoot, again, things for 3D that'd be interested in, but I think even those, the effect lasts maybe half an hour on me, and then I think my brain processes it, and I start ignoring it. And it goes to background noise, and just goes like, why am I paying extra for this? <laughs> my eyes have adjusted to where now, yes, so unless they have things flying at the screen, which I then go, this is schlock crap. <laughs> And just sticky to remind me that it's 3D. By midway through the movie, I will have forgotten. There was a great moment in uh, Avatar. I don't know if this happened to anybody I, else. That's uh, oxymoron. There was one great one Avatar. single great moment in Avatar. The the chick has her bow and arrow, and she's pointing off sort of the left side of the screen, and she tilts and and, and aims to the right. And in the screening that I happened to go see it at. Someone had uh, left to go to the bathroom and was returning to their seat, and the arrow was pointed directly at that person's head. That's why I paid five extra dollars. <laughs> that will show you for getting up to go to the bathroom. It was pretty it amazing. Kill you. <laughs> exactly. So, but uh, so I, I think we discussed this in the Avengers trailer episode. The Joss Whedon claimed to hate 3D, and then this movie was converted to 3D, and he said, "There's nothing better than converting to 3D." Uh, he's I don't it, sellout probably isn't the right word, but he does have a job, and part of his job, besides directing and writing the film, is to promote it. Right. And part of promoting it is saying 3D's great. $207 million. Yeah. Box office record. So, I believe when we discussed that, <laughs> uh, I said, yes, he would like to keep working. And you said, he's got enough money, he doesn't need to. And I said, he wants this to do as well as possible. So that he could keep getting $220 million to work with. And I think that did that. If he had said, oh, I don't like 3D, maybe 
200 million, just shy of the record, and then, you know, where are the laurels? They'd be so disappointed that yeah. it only made 200. Exactly. <laughs> first place is first place. Whether it's by a half a second or... Gotcha. So... So after that uh, disappointing and panic uh, panic attack inducing first scene, the movie really uh, I, I I agree with you that it was pretty flawless is a word that you shouldn't throw around a lot, um, but it was pretty flawless. <laughs> yeah, uh, there there's the technically uh, like you were saying all of the below the line stuff, the camera work and the visual effects were, were um, pretty near perfect all the way through, um, which is, I guess, like you said, that's what uh, $220 million budget buys you. Yeah, and the perform even above the line, I thought a lot of things, the performances that I was dreading, like Thor, or Chris Hemsworth, you know, who I found wooden and laughable in Thor, I thought he actually really... Uh, stepped it up in this and was believable in the scenes where he was fighting with Loki and seemed like he had felt pain or, you know, things like that and was struggling with something. I went, huh, he actually looks like he's acting. Same thing, uh, Chris Evans was just gosh and golly, you know, in Captain America and I didn't believe, like, see any kind of arc journey or anything. Um, in this, he didn't get... He didn't have to do any of that, so maybe that was more to the point. But he wasn't uh, distractingly bad. <laughs> well, the your criticism of Captain America that he didn't have an arc. First of all, I don't know that a character necessarily needs an arc. Uh, well, and especially maybe not a comic book character, but it's useful sometimes. But it, sometimes it's interesting to see a guy who's just that good dealing with a world that's imperfect. And I thought that. Captain America did a great job. But even if you do find that as a failing, that's the writer's fault, not, not the actor's fault. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess at the end of Captain America with him in the present, that was as much, you know, emotion as he had to show. Right. And Which, by the way, I'd like to re-bring up, this is not the first time I've mentioned this, he was born in the 1920s, Oh. was uh, 20-something, clearly, because he was in the military, in the 1940s, and then he wakes up and is taking orders from an African-American. Wow, straight to that. No one mentions it. Right. No, <laughs> at any we, point. We, we predicted that maybe there would be a gaffe or a funny uh, throwaway where he used the wrong term or something. Uh, that did not come up. I'm now, sorry. Apparently there's about 20 or 30 minutes of footage that was cut out of the movie, that this was a really long movie. And You're Joss hoping. Whedon says that a lot of it is Captain America. So I do hope... For some racial epithet to appear <laughs> coming out of Captain America's mouth. Nice, uh, but uh, uh, that was—I think that was the one thing I was hoping for <laughs> in this movie that I didn't get. Because you're a racist. So moving I just on, think, I, I just think it's funny when black people are put in their place. Say it. My—I have to say, my grandparents were not intolerant <laughs> but they weren't necessarily the most tolerant people and and definitely not politically correct exactly and yep. i feel like chris evans should it should come up <laughs> yeah he should have just uh, ad-libbed some lines in there if it comes up when i'm when i'm at the mexican restaurant with my grandpa like then it should come up when he's talking with nick fury all okay. the time okay so moving on though uh one <laughs> thing that i did like though um was in the very next scene. It picked up with Scarlett Johansson uh, being interrogated in Russia uh, as Black Widow. And I mentioned from the trailer, I did not have high hopes for her. 
both in the acting or character department. I was like, she, you know, was a spy in Iron Man 2, and she, you know, like, used her wiles and everything to get inside. Uh, but she has no superpowers. She works for S.H.I.E.L.D., and yes, she can spy on things, but when there's a large alien army, what is she doing standing out in the middle, with, you know, with that reveal shot? But they did intro her and play her to her strengths with the interrogation scene introduction, uh, which I thought was pretty pitch perfect for introing the character. It goes back to Joss Whedon uh, being one of the better writers for female characters, that, like, she is smarter than them. She... it. It's one of those things where it seems like they've got her in a corner and they've got, they're literally beating her up and there's no way that she's going to get out of it. And then she suddenly reveals, oh, I'm in complete control of the situation. But she makes that statement first, which confuses the bad guys. And we as the audience are like, that's a strange thing to say. And then suddenly she just beats the crap out of everybody in a, uh, I mean, realistic for comic book movie kind of way. It's... And it, she lives up to the statements that she made. And so from now on, she doesn't have to do anything for the rest of the movie. We now just sort of accept she's badass and can keep up with everybody. Which is, you know, credit to uh, the the writing of that scene. That it allowed us to, for a moment, think, oh, she's a weak woman. And then realize, no, she's able to take on three big guys at the same time. Yeah, and even as good as the action was, they do kind of shake her a bit with the uh, character, the arc with her and Hawkeye, as well as she goes then from there to find Bruce Banner uh, in India and meets with him in a cabin and he, you know, yells at her and she pulls a gun and it's like she's actually scared. So I think we do, it's not like she's just superwoman and is, you know, right, she... unabashedly boastful and uh, unshakable. Uh, so she's pretty well developed. If you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, referring to her press. Actually, one thing I was going to say was, for as much uh, as uh, curvaceous as she's often portrayed as, she looks like... She's she, not portrayed as. She actually is. Uh, <laughs> she looks like she lost some weight working out or whatever to get ready for this movie in some of the wrong places. She's not <laughs> as chesty. And uh, her hips were a bit squared off. They had a shot, mind you. There were several... Um, tastefully done ass shots, Frank, in this when we first see Captain America uh, working a punching bag and Nick Fury comes in. He's, you know, he's punching the punching bag, he breaks it, and then he sets up a new one with just one hand. And then he turns to talk to Nick Fury and it is an odd medium shot hitting him just above the back of the knees as he's talking to Nick Fury. And I'm like, this is a, it's a neat looking gym that you're portraying in the background. I'm like, why the... Oh, we're looking at his ass. And it is framed with him in like these sweatpants that are like three millimeters thickness <laughs> of material draped on him. And it, this movie really struck me as uh, something I didn't understand as much with Captain America or Thor, but I'm sure where the angle was they were catering to the female viewers who were being dragged there by their boyfriends or husbands and things, being like, you know what, you showed up, but here's some man candy to stare at, and we're going to play that up. And I had a, a woman I work with comment that, like, I said how Thor was you know, cold and wooden and just not a very good story. And she's like, he looked really good doing it. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. That's okay. And I'm sure she, you know, that people, women might have liked Captain America too for Chris Evans being shirtless as much as he was. And it looks like this movie really, uh, played Captain America, that 
shirtless in Captain America? Yeah, he had to get the super soldier serum and things. There was a lot of... Uh, yeah, there's... I remember that, but I don't remember. But Thor was constantly shirtless. Yeah. So, uh, it, looking back, I'm like, oh, those movies played that up, and this one did as well. There were, don't get me wrong, Scarlett Johansson ass shots as well. Uh, I think even Kobe Smulders was uh, in a jumpsuit and framed that way, but they seemed to play to both audiences, and I think that maybe helped the $207 million box office. It's also something I, I think is interesting with male actors or stars these days. You know, like, if you look back decades ago, Richard Gere or, like, Patrick Swayze was the sexiest man alive, and it's not because they went around shirtless and were, like, 260 pounds of yoked uh, 3% body fat and muscle. It was just like, oh, you're in shape, but, you know, you dance and lift women up and you got, like, windswept hair and stuff. <laughs> and now it seems like if you want to compete, like, Ryan Reynolds was jokey and, you know, funny guy in romantic comedies or gross-out comedies before. Then he was in The Proposal where women fell in love with him. They're like, oh, he's so funny and everything. And they're like, you want to go the next step? Add 60 pounds of muscle. You know, and like, a lot of it is for these comic book movies where, again, Chris Evans was in Fantastic Four was kind of like in good shape, but like a volleyball player, you know, live kind of athletic build. And they're like, hey, let's cast him where he's just ripped. And so it does seem to be a thing now where they're, the definition of kind of sex symbol is insanely ripped. Like uh, there's, and this might be getting a bit far afield, <laughs> there's a Channing Tatum movie coming out called Magic Mike where he plays a male stripper. And the whole movie is just him and Matthew McConaughey is in it stripping for women and bachelorette parties and things dressed like firemen but he he wants to do something real with his life and have connections with women and it's there's no plot to this movie it's literally Channing Tatum in as good a physical shape as he can get stripping well uh, as thin as that story is uh, you're actually criticizing Channing Tatum's life because the story is partly based on on his real life experiences of being a stripper and then I guess making emotional connections and starring in uh, Step Up to the Streets. Oh, or whichever goodness. one it is. Now, and first off, good to hear you have such an intimate knowledge <laughs> of Channing Tatum's upcoming autobiography. After I enjoyed the Haywire so much, That's I decided true. to follow up. So, second off, uh, when I saw the trailer for that movie, I went, really? This is who we have to feel bad about, is male strippers. <laughs> they have been objectified for far too long. And just, if you're going to make a sad story about strippers, it's like having a movie about a white basketball player that's discriminated against. You're like, oh yes, you are the one that is being discriminated against after throughout history, such that uh, you're being objectified as a piece of meat. Shaggy tape. Do you know who else is objectified? What's that? The Hulk. I'm trying to bring it back to I, this movie. It doesn't work that. at all. All right. So... Uh, all that aside, I'm oh. just saying that I think nowadays they are putting more man meat in movies to cater to women. <laughs> Another possible explanation for Scarlett Johansson, what you saw as weight loss, it might be that just for once a spy chick is dressed practically. Like she, one sign of her intelligence is that she knows how to how the zipper works on the front of her shirt. <laughs> it's not down to her belly button. And uh, I'd wager she's wearing a sports bra, which is what you would actually do if you're in these situations. And that tends to compress 
uh, your your breasts a little bit. So she can do the backflips and kick people in the face and things like that. So uh, it might actually be a sign of practicality there you for go. once. That's and... really hot practicality. <laughs> Getting back into the plot of the movie, there was one minor thing that I, I didn't quite like very much, which comes up in at first in the interrogation scene with the Black Widow. She hears that Barton is now a bad guy, and she reacts all crazy, and that's sort of what triggers her to kick everybody's ass. But I have never seen him... Well, I'm sorry. He was in Thor for, yeah. in an insert shot for 30 seconds. He was clearly not on set at the same time as Chris Hemsworth. Um... That I don't even know if if Kenneth Branagh shot that part of it. Like it really looks like it was just shot second unit. Yeah, second unit like months later. But anyways, uh, we saw him for one shot. We saw her for half of Iron Man two, not doing anything. We never saw them together. We have no idea of their relationship. We see her reaction to it, so that sort of informs us of it. Right. But for three quarters of the movie, he's a bad guy, and she's sort of stressing out about it. And they infer things, like they'll be like, remember that time in Bulgaria? But I have, I don't have any feeling for their relationship. I almost feel like there was a Black Widow and Hawkeye movie that I missed. You didn't um, see that? <laughs> it's awesome. It, it seems like it would be awesome, and I told, it probably will happen now that the Avengers has made all this money. I rolled with it because I liked the movie so much, but... And I don't know if there was room in a two-hour and twenty-minute movie <laughs> to cram in another, you know, subplot with the two of them flashing back to their yeah. or something. Like, I don't have a solution for it, but it was a little bit of a. It, it only bothered me a little bit, but it was still there, just sort of running all the way through. I was like, "You're telling me you have a relationship, but I'm not actually seeing this relationship. I'm not." Feeling and at that it. point, you started weeping and thought the movie would make no money. Just <laughs> Whedon would be sent to. Uh, Kansas. <laughs> I don't know where they send people, but clearly you had a lot of anxiety with yeah. anything you perceived as a flaw. I felt like her reaction justified it, and then uh, it did go a little late in the film for him to come back around. Um, I thought it would happen earlier, or he would kind of fight the uh, poison programming, magic, whatever it was that was turning him. And I thought actually that his uh, eyes would stay that color, and that's where he'd get some superpower level of vision so it was a bit uh, late but I think the um, again her reaction even in the Loki interrogation scene to him describing what how she he was going to have Hawkeye kill her or violate her or then kill her then make him wake up realize what he's done and then explode his head I'm like that's actually pretty uh, pretty twisted uh, and her reaction even though it was her faking it to get information out of him seemed genuine enough to me to infer the relationship they had without having to see it. I also, I mean... One it, it did, it hinged on her performance, and her performance was good enough. So, I, I, I'll roll with it. And okay. I, it's not a serious criticism, but it, it was just a minor, minor thing that irked me that I kept waiting for. But on the other hand, I will say it was sort of a daring experiment, because I feel like any other studio would give them a note that'd be like, I want to see a little bit of their relationship first. Like, give me a backstory and a flashback and explain it to the audience. Be like, they were friends and they worked together in some other country. And so I'm, I, I guess I'm giving retarded studio notes. Right. And, and good for them for trying something different, which is, here's a character you've never met before. He's a bad guy for three quarters of the movie, and then we're going to get used to him being a good guy in the last half hour. And we want you to like him. Yeah. Um, and actually that does touch on one point that 
I was glad they didn't have a flashback to that because then it would beg the question of, oh, wasn't there something in one of the two Hulk movies that we could reference here but with Mark Ruffalo instead? Or let's go back to Thor. Or there's a shot in Iron Man 2 that would really punch up what uh, we're talking about here. And I distinctly didn't want them to do that. Like, when they would reference something, I was like, oh, is this going to flashback? Are we going to other movies? And it would pull me out of, you know, this being a cohesive film. And they never did that, and it didn't feel like it was missing. There is, I don't know how uh, much interest of this is to the podcast audience, but there is a comic book out there uh, that was a prequel to the Avengers movie that was called Nick Fury's Big Week. And okay. it was the week leading up to the Avengers film. And in this comic, which I do not recommend at all, this four-issue miniseries, it asserts that all of the last four movies... Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Thor. and Thor all happened in the last week. Not the uh, 1940 section of Captain America, but the, like okay. the last five yeah. minutes of Captain America. All of that happened within a week. That They say that Black Widow was on campus when the Hulk freaks out and, kill, and uh, fights the army or whatever in The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And then she gets a phone call and then travels to Nevada to be in Thor the next day. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, those movies... Don't feel like they happened one right after the other. Like, there, there's some time between Iron Man 2 and the Avengers. Not a day. <laughs> he built a tower. Yeah. Like, to himself. So, even with his flying and, uh, you know, amount of money. You have to get permits? There, <laughs> there would be some, some time. It was a weird. It was a weird way of trying to connect all of the movies and be like, Hey, look, this is all one cohesive universe. They made it worse. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of... There was, an, uh, there was a show called The Shield with Michael Chiklis as like a cop who's on the take. And in the first episode, you see him, he kills another cop. Like, it's like really far gone. And there's an episode in like season five or something where they flash back to the day before. And apparently he and his partner were straight cops, never done a thing wrong in their lives. And they start selling drugs on Tuesday. And by Wednesday, they're killing another fellow officer. It was... The worst episode of a brilliant series. Like, I think I recommend everything about The Shield, except for that one episode that you should totally skip. And it reminded me of that, of why are you trying to tie things together in a way that is tidy, but makes no sense at all? So I'm all of this is a disrecommendation for that comic. And to treat the movies as, in my mind, they're sort of in real time. That The Incredible Hulk happened four years ago, and he's been in Brazil or traveling the world and winds up in Brazil trying to find peace with himself. And that Thor has been trapped in Asgard for yeah. a year. Not, oh yeah, this was last week. Oh, he's been banished. He wants to get back to Natalie Portman, who we did uh, call that they'd have a throwaway line of, oh, she's somewhere else. And they had a, a shot with her picture on screen. Went, we moved her out of yeah, to safety. Which, Apparently they wanted her in it, and her and her schedule just didn't uh, work. But Black Swan too, Swan harder. <laughs> she swan pretty hard in the first. That's episode. true. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, once again, getting back into the plot, the, uh, Black Widow shows I, up. At I think the... every time we say that, we have to say, "Meanwhile, <laughs> back in the plot." <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the plot. Uh, Black Widow meets up with Mark Ruffalo, who is our new Bruce Banner uh, and our new Hulk. 
I've been reading nothing but that the Hulk is the best part of this movie. Steals the show. Mark and Ruffalo upstages everyone. Is brilliant. The first hour of the movie, I just kept staring at him rubbing his hands together and wondering why he kept doing that. It's called acting? Yes. Okay. No, no. Acting with a K is what he was doing. It was capital A acting. And it was like, I understand that you're nervous and frustrated, and uh, but you're really... Like, this is acting 101, like, expressing your emotions visually. It was very weird. It was business, and it just... I agree that for as much as I had heard him built up that he had steals the show and upstaged everything, I was like, no, I don't think he did. He maybe wouldn't have distracted me as much, except that I was staring at him because people talked it up so much. But I did not feel that his performance was overly great. It was suitable. I thought he was... It worked. I thought he was great any time that it was a, it was a close up, so I couldn't see his goddamn hands. <laughs> but it was a weird. It was it was a tick. It was like when it's it's like when a guy wears a pork pie hat, and you're like, you're just doing that so I'll look at you. <laughs> what is a pork pie hat? It's uh, it's like a little. It's like a mini fedora. If you wear it in the 1930s, it's fine. But it's now 2012. You look like a douchebag. You're, yeah, you're a hipster douchebag. The hand thing was weird and distracting. But other than that, I liked his comedic timing. And I liked, even when he was doing jokey stuff, there was still an undercurrent of some sort of emotional turmoil going on. And that's Anger. Sort of, possibly. Yeah. Uh, we'll discuss that later, because I yeah. was super confused by, I'm angry all the time. Yeah. But uh, it was, I, I liked his performance generally, but there was that, just that one tick that seemed to be, I want to make sure the audience knows yeah. that I have inner it was turmoil. It a cheap trick. And uh, like said, yeah, like you said, acting one on one, or it was business that they give. Like, oh, here's how you know, do something to look like you're acting. Uh, and uh, one change that they made from the trailer to the film, or maybe the trailer company did something differently that I'm so glad uh, that they did. In the trailer, she says, "We need you to come join the Avengers," and he goes, "What if I say no?" And I was like, "Wow, that's that's that, that's like the." first bad instinct that anybody would have reading that line. Like, it was hammy and over-the-top and spelling out the joke in a, in a not-even-that-good-of-a-joke kind of way. And in the film, he just says, what if I say no? And and I was like, oh, they, they changed it. The, the trailer people didn't understand that, like, the subtlety was what sells that line. Like, I'm not even surprised that they did that take, that Mark Ruffalo thought that might be a good idea or that Joss Whedon was like, let's try it, you know, Let's try a stupid take just for <laughs> the trailers or something. It was very weird in the trailer. And it, it, that made me think that Mark Ruffalo was not going to be good in this. And then when I saw that alternate take used in the actual film, I was like, okay, maybe we're, maybe someone's got control of this shit. Yeah. I, I think the best part of him acting was in the interrogation scene with Scarlett Johansson. He, uh... It's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Now he, I mean, had a very, like you said, kind of contained... Uh, he had the nervous energy, and then he does slam his hands on the table and, like, startle her. And he plays that shift very well. Like, it's believable in that one rage-filled instant. And then he draws back, and he kind of laughs. He's like, I was just testing you. And his voice, I think, fits it very well. Like, Mark Ruffalo's normal uh, cadence and performance actually lined up pretty well with this. 
Except for the, you know, Bruce Banner I had learned from Eric Bana and Edward Norton. Like, those didn't really line up, so it took me, I think, a little bit to get into him. Oh, you think he was trying to follow their performance? Or? No, I think he was not trying to, and so it was a little uh, different for me because Edward Norton wasn't nervous and, you know, things like that. So it, it was a little maybe slower getting in, or I noticed, like, the hand thing you were talking about. But when I forgot their performances and just watched him... I thought he was well-suited. Because I think when I first heard the casting, I was like, ah, I don't think that makes sense. I don't know why. It just maybe didn't. Because I think of Mark Ruffalo as, you know, kind of a goof-off stoner, you know, from <laughs> uh, The Kids Are Alright and, you know, his other things where... Well, where I think that really paid off is the scenes later on when it's him and Tony Stark. And they're both sort of being science nerds together. Yeah. And they both really like being uh smart to each other yeah. like it was it was an interesting like that was i don't know much about the avengers comics i don't really follow marvel as much as dc and so i didn't know what kind of relationship those two had and i was surprised by it but it also made perfect sense that those two guys became sort of best buds right away uh yeah that was actually one of the uh dynamics that i really liked them building kind of one-on-ones with each of the team members they had Tony Stark and Captain America, and he would be ribbing on him, and, you know, they had Black Widow and Bruce Banner get alone time and talk, you know. So uh, they did, it did feel like they built relationships within the unit, and there, their own inside jokes or things. There was a certain point, though, on the on the Harrier, where it seemed like Jocelyn was like, okay, how many different pairs do we need? Let's, uh, uh... Hulk and Black Widow, you guys you guys haven't had a scene yet. Let's yeah. have you two walk into a room together for no real reason. And it's sort of played because people were just want... At, it played because everything was entertaining enough that I didn't think about the fact, why are they just wandering around the ship not doing anything <laughs> and bumping into each other? There was a bit of time on the ship where I'm like, shouldn't you be uh, planning? I mean, they would go back to the lab and be like, oh, we're running tests. And then Captain America breaks into the holding area where they have the weapons and they give them each objectives to do on the ship but I think when they first showed up I was like do we have a, a agenda? <laughs> Are you guys gonna do some stuff? But getting back to it we covered that Mark Ruffalo did do a plausible or did do a believable change between his calm and angry and could change that in a moment. I didn't read nervous on him I think any of the time. When he first got on the aircraft carrier before we knew it could fly he's over looking at a jet or something and captain america comes over to talk to him and i'm like why is he just looking at the wheel on that jet he doesn't like it felt like the hand wringing where they're like you're over there for some reason oh, look at that jet and it's just business or blocking to get him over there and i didn't believe it but and then we finally get to tony stark who's sort of the guy that we've all been waiting for because he's the most popular one with the lot with the two movies that made a lot of money and Everybody liked them and everything. Uh, and I don't even remember how we meet him. Oh, he's he's built Lex Tower. He's hard. Yeah, he's stealing, taking himself off the grid. He's under the oh, water. Yeah. And he, we see him underwater, which it seems like a just a, hey, we expect Iron Man to be flying around, so let's put him underwater, because nobody will expect that to happen. Okay, well. I totally didn't expect it and was blown away that he was underwater. <laughs> I know. Like, it, it worked. It <laughs> It seemed like a pointless, like, we're undermining expectations that aren't really even that expected. It made me think for half a second, go, huh, he can go underwater? Neat. That's and a, it's never it's an impressive used. impressive suit. 
It seems like it's a setup for something that is never used ever again. They set up plenty, so... They did. Even Black Widow's interrogation at the beginning of the movie is a setup yeah. for the talk with Loki, and I totally didn't see it as a setup. Yeah, so I didn't see... When she's talking with Loki, I was actually taken in until she turned around. I'm like, that's terrible crying. Why, why aren't we seeing a reverse, you know, of this? And then she... So, you know, reveals. I'm like, oh, you got me. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of Chekhov's guns that I didn't notice um, lying around. So uh, then Iron Man flies back to Iron Man Tower or Stark Tower. That he's he's built uh, and is now running on fairy dust and liberal it's Hollywood, his, his whatever is going on. There. Nice. Green energy. Yeah. Um, the Muppets, I think, were saved by his tower, exactly. too. Exactly. Is that what we're going at? Uh, so, we're against nuclear power, but whatever magic Iron Man is running off of, that's fine. Yeah. Because um, uh, it doesn't exist. Um. <laughs> wow. This went political very fast. Hey, it's the movie. It's uh, the movie's doing it. Uh, him and Pepper Potts have a little bit of a thing. She's the only uh, girlfriend that we get to see in this movie. The rest of them. We don't see Betty Ross. We don't see Captain America's old... Grandmother. Dead, dead girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to her. Um, we, we have no idea. Uh, we, and we see Natalie Portman for a second. So the only girlfriend we get to see is Pepper Potts. Um, and she does her thing, which... I don't see the appeal of Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't have anything against her, but she's there. and I mean, in this and uh, of late, she's uh, getting a little older. She's had a couple kids and all, so I think for as... Crisp as the image was and as big as everyone's heads were, I think <laughs> getting a little older uh, lines around the eyes and the red hair doesn't really compliment her. They, I think, gave her more freckles and things. So, yeah, I agree that she wasn't great looking here, but uh, back in the day... I, I meant personality-wise, you shallow bastard. Wow! <laughs> we're talking about breasts and uh, packed sweatpants here, and now we're all of a sudden talking about personalities. I would say, I don't, there's nothing... Her performance isn't that great. She's competent in terms of being able to deliver the lines, but I mean... When you any scene between her and Robert Downey Jr., you remember Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Although now that you mention her being a little older, she's probably more age appropriate than most uh, oh, yeah. on screen relationships. Period. Let alone superhero movies. She's I mean she's still seven years younger than him, but that's I don't know that's more appropriate, but it's less inappropriate than, yeah. than some others that we've seen. Um, I think in this she just didn't have a lot of lines. I. Iron Man 1 and 2, she uh, won me over a little bit. I was like, yeah, I could see her keeping up with him and banter, and she's the only one that, you know, is on his level in terms of ribbing him and, you know, recovering and things like that. So, whereas we see him sleep with a bunch of vacuous idiots in the Iron Man movies, and while it may sate his carnal appetites, they, they just don't challenge him. So I, I believed the relationship there. Here, I thought, I'm like, yeah, they're just coasting from... Whatever that was. I imagine when they're off screen, they're, they're charming. And there's a reason he's still with her. Now that we've brought Iron Man slash Tony Stark back into it, he's not at all self-destructive, which is sort of his main thing uh, that Tony Stark is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a drunk and, like, uh, getting himself into trouble all the time. And he doesn't... He has a little bit of banter with Gwyneth Paltrow, and that's about the extent of it. Like, he's not self-sabotaging, which is, like... You know, it'd be like having Batman who's not brooding, and then you end up with the 1960s Batman show, which is awful. And 
that it, it's weird that they took sort of the main thing that's that is that defines Iron Man in in every previous iteration, and they were left with Robert Downey Jr. being charming, which uh, I mean everybody likes, and there's nothing wrong with charming, but he's he lacks the uh, he lacks the self destruction in this movie that he had in the other ones. Yeah, the other ones definitely had a, a bit more gravitas to you know or consequences for his own actions. In this one, he's puckish in you know his insults and things and like it does seem rebellious he down he hacks into shields programs and everything like that but you're right he's not like hell-bent on bringing things down regardless of the consequences even to himself and he is actually the voice of reason in a lot of kind of the scenes and comes up with uh keeps everyone together which might be what they were going for and because it's so unexpected or maybe his relationship with pepper Potts, you know matured him so i recognized it a little bit in that uh, he seemed to be the responsible one of the group or talking sense into people or getting like towards the end he's like oh is Banner here yet and they're like what do you mean and he's kind of quarterbacking the whole situation which is both because everyone loved Iron Man and he's the draw on the charming one but I think also uh, no that was it <laughs> that was the reason so they had to get rid of the self-destructive nature I, I suppose but maybe it was also again him maturing they were trying to bill it that way. It's possible, but I also, uh, when you bring up Gwyneth Paltrow again, I, I'm also confused about what the hell their relationship is because she did, <clears throat> because he did sleep with a bunch of other women in the sub in the previous two movies, but in this one they're sitting together comfortably joking with each other. Iron Man two ended up with her, him saving her and them having a heartfelt conversation on a rooftop, and then him flying her home. And yeah, but they had a heartfelt continued. That happened at the end of Iron Man One. He was still no Iron Man sleeping one. with sluts went, at the end of oh, Iron Man Two. You at Money Penny one of these days. <laughs> uh, so it was very playful in Iron Man One. Where Iron Man Two, it was a you almost died, you jerk. You have to tell me these things, you know, and more of a relationship conversation. So I actually picked up was like seamless and filled in the blanks between that movie and this because they were so close with one another. I. Felt that they were close, but I felt like there was something. That, again, I felt like I missed Iron Man three. That like something happened in the relationship. Iron Man I, three, a committed relationship. <laughs> Just them. You want to write a movie tonight? Let's go out for Chinese. Talk about our feelings and how many children we each want. Let's see if those line up. I would pay to see that. Yeah, He's just sitting there would. in his suit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the Chinese restaurant, right. which uh, is actually, the, they've already done that joke. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Way to ruin the ending, ending, coda. I'm sorry, it's everyone. ending, ending, ending. There you go. So, uh, but yeah, we, we get back to the plot, and uh, <laughs> Tony Stark's there, Agent Coulson comes in. Colton? Coulson. Agent Coulson comes in and he has a lot of lines and we even learn his first name when Paltrow calls him Phil. And at the beginning, I'm like, oh, he's getting more screen time. Good for him. He's I just been in the other ones. I figured everybody else in the movie had plenty of screen time. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he's... I did not see it as any kind of plant. Yeah. And so. it, we all should have that. Like, as yeah. soon as we learned that this guy had a first name, like, ah, oh, he's got a target on his back. He's, yeah. he's already got a replacement, which we saw in the opening scene. Like, all of it was there and somehow did not see... Because of the charmingness. The yes. glint of Robert Downey Jr.'s smile. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah. Here's where some of the... A, a little bit of the continuity of the Marvel Universe movies doesn't quite work out. Where they're like, hey, do you want to come join the Avengers? And he's like, but 
at the end of Iron Man 1, you wanted me to join, and then Iron Man 2, you said don't join, and then now we're back to joining again. Like, the the tracking S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to bring Iron Man in does not track, I guess. <laughs> trying, trying to follow that plot through the three movies does not feel organic or thought out. And it probably wasn't. Like, it was a throwaway joke at the end of the first Iron Man that Nick Fury shows up. I mean, the fact that the casting Sam Jackson was a joke on, in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, the Nick, the new Nick Fury was designed to look like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, and, they in that one, they even had a joke where they, they're sitting around Stark Tower, which was their base, not the, the hover battleship, and they are all talking about who would play them in the subsequent movie of their exploits, and Nick Fury says, well, that's obvious, Sam Jackson. Because he is drawn to look like Sam Jackson. <laughs> and he does look exactly like Sam Jackson. And then they cast Sam Jackson. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. So it's a weird bit of reverse casting. But uh, it's it doesn't quite follow. But again, if you watch this movie as a self-contained thing, it works good enough. And like the last time I saw Iron Man 2 was two years ago because it wasn't that great of a movie. Yeah, I actually couldn't remember which one it appeared in, but do remember, oh yeah, there was the scene where they told him he does, you know, he says he doesn't play with, with others at some point, and then they said, we need you for this, and, or he says, okay, I'll join, and then they say no. So I was uh, aware of and remembered the scenes, but not enough to be like, hey, that doesn't jive. Well, on top of that, uh, Robert Downey Jr. shows up in The Incredible Hulk to recruit the Hulk to the Avengers, which happened before... Sam Jackson says you don't get to be in the Avengers yeah. and Iron Man 2 it, it doesn't it's a little screwy yeah but uh, I think we sort of knew that going in and this scene just sort of covered it up and says you know what it's uh, good enough the, the patch job uh, yeah you don't shake it we've we've changed Hulks three times now so yeah. this should be the least of your worries um so at this point they've gathered most of the heroes except for uh, Thor, and I I got to say something about the structure of the film. It wasn't a basic. Uh, it was it wasn't a standard three act structure where you introduce the world and then the characters and then they get like the call to adventure. Except you know one or more of them deny the call and that sort of hero's journey sort of bullshit. Like the movie is moving along in a, in a logical manner that this event causes that event, which causes the next event. And nothing seems to come out of left field. It all, it all progresses logically and you're following it and you're interested in the characters, but it is not the most obvious, like a leads to B leads to C. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was a, I couldn't even, if, if you told me to say, look at the structure of the script and, and show me where the three acts are, I'm not entirely sure that I'd be able to say so, other than it's probably the first twenty, you know, first half hour is probably the first act, and last half hour is probably the last act. Like, it it didn't feel like a standard story structure to me. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I mean, I knew Thor must show up eventually because he was in the trailers, and I knew they'd fight Loki at some yeah. point. But like, I didn't from one moment to the next, I had no idea what the, the next scene was going to be. Like, uh, unlike say uh, the Expendables, you know, right. I think Agent Colton dying was a, 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 a act change in that they move from innocence to experience, or you know, the, it begins the final, the third act with the final battle coming. Uh, but that was actually the point. Uh, one of the things I found novel was 
they weren't even a team up to that point, you know. It was kind of the, hey, let's assemble and, oh, we're, you know, going to try, like, I don't know, Unbreakable or something where it's like, I'm going to be a superhero and they just get knocked down. You're like, well, you're terrible at that. We can get to the axe structure a little bit later, but it does feel like, you know, maybe old Agent Colton dying is the beginning of the third act to the final battle. But, like, the first act is usually them kind of learning the problem and coming together. And that did take a long time because they, they recruit Captain America. They go on an aircraft carrier that turns out to be a big hovering flying ship, which again just reminded me of G.I. Joe. Everything about S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of <laughs> was like, really? Well, like, actually, that's the thing. That's one of those, like, it's a classic thing from the comics. Yeah. Like, the, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. has a helicarrier. And when, when my wife saw that, she was like, seriously? that It flies? And I was like, wait, you didn't know that that was going to... Like, I was surprised that they took so long to get to that point. Nice. I was surprised that was not the beginning, the opening the, scene. The that campus were, that gets blown up? Yeah, that I thought it was going to turn into the helicarrier, honestly. And so I was not taken aback by it any more than I was when Thor started shooting lightning out of his head. What? That left I, field for I, me. I was just like, oh, good. It was one of those, like, nerd checkboxes, which the way they shot it, like, to me it felt like they're showing... Here's that thing you've been waiting for. You knew it was going to happen. Look at how it's it's everything you dreamed it would be because it's, you know, the effects are great and it looks super real. It's not somebody drawing in a comic book. Like, it looks like this thing could possibly actually exist. Um, and, a, you know, big sweeping shots and then the music swells and everything. And so that's why I was like, well, good. They, they made the helicarrier right. But... I guess, if did you really not know that that was a thing that was going to happen? I did not. I feel like maybe I had seen it somewhere before, but maybe I thought it was Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow <laughs> that I was referencing. I did not, A, read a lot of comics, B, read ones where S.H.I.E.L.D. was like a primary character. Like, I read some X-Men and, you know, watched the animated series and things where they would show up and do like they did, you know, in Iron Man 1 and 2 and things, where it's like, oh, they're in the background. Or, oh, they showed up and said, we have a problem. We'll tag along while the X-Men kind of solve it. Uh, but nothing where they were at the center of it. So that did stick out. And again, maybe I was just associating it more with recent uh, blockbuster movies of Skyline or Battleship coming out and being like, oh, we got to have a big flying boat thing. Yeah, that's it, one of those weird things where when you're adapting something that's really old that other movies have ripped off subsequently, yeah. they feel like you feel like you're being the ripoff. Like John Carter of Mars, I would wasn't a good movie anyways, but I heard so many people saying, "Oh, that looks just like uh, Cowboys and Aliens." And I was like, "No. Cowboys and Aliens looks like John Carter of Mars. Right. They just made the movie later." Yeah. Like the helicarrier GI Joe looks like the Avengers, not right. the other way around. And yet, they got to it uh, under the big screen first. So, and then you, you were talking about, oh, it looks so great, and you think, oh, that could actually work out or fly. No! <laughs> it went up, I'm like, you know, anything anything blows up one of those fans, you're, you're in trouble. Just, Which is what happened. Well, I'm like, well, they probably got a, a defense against that. No, an arrow. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, he's really good with arrows. <laughs> but an arrow, I'm like, man. I mean, I think it had the explosive tip, but I'm like, I still don't know that it was as powerful as a grenade, <laughs> a missile, you know, anything a jet would have that would reasonably be coming at you. So, either way, it flies up in the air. We talked about Mark Ruffalo having terrible business. Um, I think, uh, oh yeah, Black Widow mentioned Agent mentions Agent Colton's uh, card collection to Captain America. And they finally go inside to get kind of briefed on the mission. Uh... 
and they start talking about, they give the, uh, oh, the way they're going to find Loki is they hacking into every camera, cell phone camera and everything in the world and using face recognition software to run his face uh, through machines. Because that's a thing that exists. Well, it's, <laughs> it sounded a lot like Batman yeah. or The Dark Knight where he used the cell phone pinging to create 3D images. And uh, it felt a little more real, believable in this where it's like, yeah, whatever, they got a flying frickin' <laughs> aircraft carrier, why not? So, uh, but in between these scenes, we haven't discussed that we're, we've been seeing Loki assembling plans and building things in a sewer and places where he's got Stellan Skarsgård and uh, Hawkeye working for him. So Hawkeye's been able to use his shield connections and he uses, Loki uses his staff to turn other shield agents and people. Once again, though, cutting to the villain doing his nefarious deeds is always the most boring thing of the movie to me. And I, did, I didn't mind Loki in the Thor movie. I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was fairly threatening here. And they did a good job of reminding me, hey, the Loki's here. But clearly, by just by the way we're talking about it, did not stand out in my yeah. mind. It's, Nothing wrong with it. It worked, but... It is fairly forgettable, um, except that it leads in the storyline up to them needing the... It's, it's almost only forgettable because the, all of the superhero stuff was so awesome and charming and interesting. They, so They do Eclipse. By comparison. Yeah. So, uh, although it was interesting to see how he turned people by tapping them in the chest with his uh, evil staff that he got from the others in space or the other dimension. Uh, oh, that was... Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about the evil dimension. The first couple times I saw that, that was another point where I was like, this looks like... An episode of Buffy. Like, it's just some duvetine in the background and somebody hung up some Christmas lights to look like stars. And it's a staircase with nothing around it. It looks like the the Aladdin stage show at California Adventure. Okay. Like, and there's just dudes in a robe and the guy... It's not a cool CGI mask like, like uh, you know, the Hulk. Like, this guy just has a rubber mask with some big teeth on it that don't really look actually sharp. They look like they're made out of foam. And it was sort of... It didn't sell me on this is a crazy other dimension where up is down and left is right and clocks are melting and things like that. Um, I actually cannot stand the works of Salvador Dali, <laughs> so I'm glad that there were no melting clocks. That's I understand. A, uh, but uh, I thought it worked fine enough. I think it was a lot better in my mind than Asgard and Thor because that just looked like Tatooine from you know, the Phantom Menace, where it was digital and too shiny and too clean to be like, this is... I liked how shiny and clean it was. It like, it not, seemed purposeful. I did not I did not like how shiny and clean it was. I'm like, you know what? That there, It's a realm of gods. I thought shiny and clean is what gods would a, do. There's a window washer god <laughs> that goes out and polishes all the windows. I'm saying they don't need window washers. Because, because they have clean fusion gold that just repels all the space dust. Like, yes. come on! <laughs> so, uh, this just felt like, you know okay enough and that yeah it's like an asteroid with some stairs i don't know <laughs> uh, interdimensional but i think i mentioned i didn't like ever in any of the comics whenever they would go oh yeah there's aliens too like x-men started spinning off when they went the phoenix saga and they're like oh it's a big spirit bird that flies through the sun and has a dark crystal and when they were making <laughs> x-men 2 i'm like they they uh insinuated at the end that they were going to do the phoenix saga i'm like oh god they're not going to do xanthia or whoever the female mentalist from space that talks to Professor X and her uh, brother 
I think was Galactus and Eats Planets. And that was actually one thing that also Fantastic Four did well. He was not a giant blue guy <laughs> that put worlds into his mouth and chewed with his teeth. <laughs> or, like, they... So those things... I was actually disappointed in Fantastic Four that it was not a giant blue guy that chewed things. Uh, he was the eater of worlds and it was just this weird cloud thing. I uh, was fine with... Uh, sure, suck the core out of the earth because you need it somehow. Yeah, why not? That's believable. I like a giant uh, monster eating a planet. So, this um, was not quite that. It was close, but didn't uh, go to crazy town. So, the incarnation of the other dimension space in the Avengers, I think, was actually toned down compared to those options they had available. And so, I actually liked it when it was like a dude handing him a staff. They're standing on an asteroid. Maybe it's a celestial plane projection of an asteroid because we've seen Loki can do that. So, fine by me. All of that is, is true and correct as far as it goes. It just seemed cheap to me. Like, it just it looked like a high school production of the things that you're describing. Oh. Or a television production. Okay, I it, don't know. It didn't have the production value to me as, as the helicarrier or the some of the other set pieces. That Clearly, we can see where they spent their budget, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> yes, I suppose. Um, so, Loki shows up in Germany for some reason. He I'm, has to... They need to get iridium. Loki comes out, he steals the guy's eye, although I think he just scanned it and left the guy alone. But then he comes out and is telling everyone to kneel before him, and I'm like, remember, uh, I think in the trailer for this I talked about how Thor seemed a bit uh, like a Norse Aryan Superman, and they had Loki kind of be smaller and conniving-ish. But now he's in Germany, and he's telling everyone to kneel before him. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then Captain America shows up and says, you know, last time I was in Germany, saw one man standing above others, like it didn't go too well for right. him, you know? So it was an interesting that they acknowledged it and veiled it as a threat, even though when everyone just kneeled, I was like, is he mind controlling them or is he using that staff to like bend them into submission or something? And then the old guy stands up and I'm like, no, they can just... Stand up if they wanted, and they're choosing. This is the problem with Germany. <laughs> One guy shows up and says, "Everyone kneel before me." Okay, <laughs> let's do whatever he says, people. We're going this route again. And I'm like, this is terrible commentary. And then the old guy stands up. I think it's accurate commentary. <laughs> yeah, accurate uh, commentary. Which for a second there, I thought it was bringing on far too weighty of things. For I'm like. Trying to have a fun comic book movie here, and you're bringing up the Holocaust, huh? <laughs> uh, but Captain America tries to patch it over by saying, A, they have the old guy stand up as if he remembers, you know, the ills of this. And then Captain America saves the old guy and says his line about... Which I'm glad they brought up, because I was like, wow, they're in Germany. I hope Captain America said it, because he didn't say anything about Nate Fury. But at least say something about being in Germany. <laughs> Last time I was here. Although apparently uh, anyone who's been to Germany can says that this doesn't look... It doesn't look remotely like Germany. It yeah. looks like some town in... Uh, wherever they filmed it in New Mexico. Um, I, it, uh, I, I, I don't I don't know care. anything about Germany, and I was like, yeah, yeah it looks like... They're speaking German. Good enough for me. Yeah. It, <laughs> they're not wearing lederhosen or anything, right. but... It looked like any other movies interpreting <laughs> Mission Impossible going to Germany or something, you know. Uh, not Ghost Protocol, because they actually went places, but the original... The I think they all went... To the actual locations, but even Mission Impossible 1, I'm pretty sure they shot in Germany for like the opening museum heist that gets them disavowed and everything like that, but didn't, it looked no different than this in that, yes, there's a museum, it's lit really bright, and there's shiny things. I, you got me. Like, the Bourne ultimatum or something where he takes uh, Julia Stiles off a subway, I'm like, 
that is definitely Germany. I can see street signs that are in German. This looks like a real subway. Like, they might have just went uh, found footage on this scene. I don't know. But any other, like, high-gloss production-style movie could be anywhere. Right. Um, so, but neither here nor there. So, Captain America fights him, and it's a then Iron Man shows up. And it's a really quick fight, and I was like, I thought he was going to run away, and it was going to be one of those boring... Uh, Villain does something, and then he scampers off, and then he does something again and scampers off. And I was like, I don't need that. And instead, they're like, he gets captured, because that's what would actually happen. And then now what do you do? And I was like, oh, where is this? What? What? They oh, captured the bad guy. Movie's over. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a two-hour movie. <laughs> so once again, structurally, not what I was expecting to happen. And then I literally... I mean, I assumed he was going to escape at some point, because he's the bad guy. But, like, I didn't know if... The creatures that he was talking with in the other dimension were going to do something, or if he was going to escape, or it didn't really occur to me that it was all part of his plan. But uh, there's a lot of things that didn't occur to me in this movie. So I was going to say the only thing I think of is this is clearly part of his plan. Iron Man flies in and hacks into the PA system on the the Harrier that uh, Black Widow's flying, and he plays. Uh, what ACDC comes flying in, he says, did you miss me or something like that? So I think this was actually another great introduction of him to the fight and to the action. We saw him, you know, obviously building his tower and getting red in on the profile and everything, but it was only Captain America and Hulk on the hovercraft when they hover ship, whatever it is. Uh, when Helicarrier. Helicarrier <laughs> when they went to capture Loki here. So he shows up and saves Captain America, who's getting uh, kind of punched, you know, and again, does it in classic fashion with not just music, shows up with diegetic music of his character hacks into their PA system and plays ACDC and comes in, you know, being like, thank you, everyone. And you kind of, again, love the character because he did that. So again, when they Loki, they capture Loki, I was like, that was a bit easy. And I think he even has a line when they're flying him back to the helicarrier. He says that, that was way too easy. And then Thor shows up on top of the thing and... Uh, that was Thunder going. And then, actually, I was wondering what the ACDC song was, and I thought it was Thunderstruck that he flies into, but then I'm like, there's no way they would have him do that, and then Thor in the next scene. And that's clearly what should be playing for him. <laughs> and then we finally get the the classic comic book thing where anytime two superheroes meet for the first time, they have to fight each other. But uh, what I'm glad they didn't do which was what normally happens is somehow the villain tricks them into going after each other, and then they realize, hey, wait a second, we're on the same side, let's go after Loki. Uh, that's not what happened and at then, all. Well, and then he's gone, or he right, manipulated yeah, yeah. them. And... They, they were... Loki did not plan on Thor arriving. He rolled with it, but like Thor arriving at that moment was not like his plan at all. And the, the heroes fighting, they all sort of had the good reason for fighting. Like, we want to bring him back so that he's not a threat to Earth. And Thor is like, I'm going to bring him back to Asgard because that's how we deal with things. Like, their fight is not uh, some misunderstanding. It is, they both perfectly understand what the other wants. They just don't want them to have it. Like, right. they are adversaries and antagonists to each other legitimately, not through some trickery of the villain. Yeah, or just pure ego. Yeah, something like that. And it, it winds up being, uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting fight where they're bouncing around and, Although, another thing that seems like a setup that isn't, Thor shoots Iron Man with his lightning and it charges Iron Man's suit. And uh, at no point when the alien invade is he like, hey, give me a charge up. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
That actually would have been awesome. Uh, and but fact, doesn't his battery run out in the final? Yeah, he is coasting on fumes when he's uh, yeah. doing that final thing. Uh, but they need they needed his battery run out for the emotional uh, arc for the ending. So mm. I, I'm not surprised they didn't do that. But they could have done it earlier in the fight. One thing though with Thor showing up was again his performance with Loki and explaining things was a lot more impassioned than I saw anything in Thor, and had more humor when. Uh, he's talking to Loki, and he's like, listen well to me, I, and then he gets knocked out by Iron Man, and he's like, I'm listening. Uh, so both... It sort of reminded me of the, the stuff in Cabin in the Woods that we enjoyed, where the old guy is talking on the phone about the wolves are being... the lambs are being led to slaughter, and the the guys in the basement are laughing at him and yeah. stuff. Like, it, it was that... I'm going to be big and pompous, and then the film is going to undercut it Yeah, in, the, in this humorous way. And I've said this before, that's what a lot of comedies that I like nowadays do, is they take the classic uh, tropes and everything so far, classic structure, and then they just go 10% further to tweak it and be like, no, that's not realistic. And it is reflexive and both modern and calling it out. And uh, that's probably why I like it since I studied film. And so I know <laughs> the other stuff. I'm like, oh, you're just following the rules. Wait, that last thing subverts the rules. <laughs> Clever. No, the one distinction is that the characters aren't aware of, of the fact that they're undermining it. Like, right. Iron Man didn't hear the conversation. He's yes. just, he sees him and punches him. Right, and it's, again, the filmmaking, timing, writing, right. editing, everything le leading up to that. Um, and I agree with you that the fight scene was a lot better than I thought it would be. For We talked about, oh, why do they always have to fight? And this, uh, in particular, them fighting in the woods at night, just smacked of Iron Man 2, where War Machine and Iron Man are fighting uh, in after the expo, the Stark right. Expo, and whatever the name of the bad guy in Iron Man 2 Whiplash. was. Yes, Whiplash. It was terrible, I thought. Uh, yeah. Shows up, and they're fighting in the woods, at, or, you know, the woods at the Stark Expo at night, and I thought Iron Man 2, the digital effects actually looked worse than Iron Man 1, <laughs> if only because Iron Man 1, it's daylight, He's, you know, got shiny reflections on the suit, and he's in, like, Afghanistan and places where there's dirt and it's getting dinged up. And that's what the technology really lends itself well to. Iron Man 2, for these things, like, at night, his face mapped into that helmet when he keeps opening it to talk to Don Cheadle, and the face just does not turn at the correct radius. The, his head is slightly too large. It's lit too well. And, like, all these things just went, this looks terrible. And so, in this, I mean, he didn't do a lot of those things. They even said cut inside his suit a lot for his facial reactions. Yeah, I, I, it bugged me in the other Iron Man movies when he would pop open his mask. I'm like, you know you're going to get shot in the face, right? Like, that's a bad idea. And it just looked terrible, but yeah. yes. And like, in, in this, they just cut inside. Yeah. And we need a close-up on him, so the metal mask isn't good enough, so let's cut to him. And I can't imagine what it must be like for Robert Daddy Jr., you know... Three months ago, they shot a fight scene in the woods, and now they have him standing against some doobie team, and they're like, we're going to put some uh, computer graphics in front of your face and uh, act like you're fighting Thor. Go. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, and he, it, he, he did it, so, you know, good job. I'm just I, That seems like one of the harder things for an actor to do. Yeah. Uh, but the overall action in that scene was really well done, and like you said, it was believable why they were doing it. Although I still don't understand Captain America's shield. Thor smashes his hammer down onto Captain America. I get, okay, so the shield's impervious, whatever. Why is Captain America not smushed underneath the shield? Because uh, the shield is made of vibranium. Right. Which dissipates 
all uh, force into it. Okay. So, so it vibrates sideways and then it sends a blast wave out. He, underneath it, is not within the cone of force. Okay, so it dissipates vibrations. Uh, when he throws it and it bounces off of things, how does it bounce since it absorbs vibrations? It absorbs it into the front and it dissipates <laughs> it out the side. They're getting hit with the side. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, it made sense in the movie because I'm like, oh, right, his shield. I saw Captain America. I don't know a lot about Captain America <laughs> prior to the film and uh, actually was surprised to find out that he doesn't have, he's, doesn't have superhuman strength. He has the most strength a human could have. Does he not have superhuman strength? No, that was, again, Captain America. Did they America, mention that? No. Sorry. And again, I walked out of Captain America thinking, he really didn't show off that superhuman strength. And my friends who know Captain America better say, he does not, he's not a superhero. He is the, uh, super, the super soldier serum made him the most strong a human could be. He can jump as far as human potential allows, like as far as an Olympic jumper can run as fast as an Olympic sprinter, like he could break any world record for a human because he has the maximum human potential. But he is not superhuman. So his shield, I thought in even Captain America the movie, I thought his shield was just like 400 pounds. He's throwing around killing people with it slapping in their head. And they're like, no, I mean, he could throw maybe 200 pounds or something where he lifts a motorcycle with girls on it and everything like that. But he is not superhuman. Wow, I didn't know that. That was not there you clear go. at all. Not clear in Captain America. Someone explained it to me. And then, uh, again, things like this. I was like, they did tailor it to he jumps out of the plane and like has a parachute or he uses his shield to kind of like bounce off trees as he goes down. They always make it somewhat plausible. You're like, yeah, someone that's a world-class athlete could maybe recover. I always yeah. took it as he's he's a couple levels below Thor. Right. So I didn't like question it, but I didn't know... How many levels yeah, below? Yeah, it's pretty far below. So the shield, and he's a brilliant, he's the max uh, intelligence, like, uh, strategist. Right. So there's that. He can plan things on where he's going to land. Which, you know, ends up being, like, he's the one who comes up with the various plans. He orders everybody what to do right. in the actual battle, because he's the only one who's fought in a war. Yeah, and um, they play to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, from Captain America, it was not, they did not delineate. Uh, the level of strength. They might have even said he's the maximum potential of any human, and to me that didn't read as, wait, he's not like Superman. <laughs> like they needed to spell that out. Yeah, um, a little bit more. But uh, you know, it it worked anyways. It finally ends when Thor does hit Captain America's shield, and they're all knocked onto their uh, backs and the ears ringing and everything, and they go, "This is silly." Uh, they ultimately go back to the helicarrier with Loki. But I think there's still a th sense of, like, we caught him too easily. He must be scheming something. They put him in the prison that's, you know, a big cylinder that drops out of the plane 30,000 feet to crush him, and he figures out that it wasn't made for him. And I think there's a line, you know, Bruce Banner figures out, oh, that's for me, huh? And they say, oh, it's just a precaution, but it's more of, like, uh, again, Iron Man uh, hacks into uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s computers and says, oh, they're making weapons. They want the cube technology to develop these. Uh, Which is a weird point for him to stand on since he is a weapons manufacturer. Like. They throw that in his face. I think even uh, Captain America or someone says, how did you make your money? Another sort of nerdy backstory thing uh, is Stan Lee realized in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, whenever Iron Man came out, Spider-Man and the X-Men were, were this counterculture thing. They were becoming popular with hippies. And stuff in, in a in a because comic books were not read just by children back right. then, and 
it was becoming popular with the counterculture, and he was he ex- he explained himself as being sort of a contrarian, like he wanted Spider-Man to sort of be the opposite of Superman. That like his life isn't he's not rich like Bruce Bruce Wayne, and he's not uh, perfect like Superman. Uh, well, after this counterculture thing took off, he was like, you know what? Screw you, hippies. My next superhero, weapons manufacturer. <laughs> and, like, Iron Man in the comics doesn't stop making weapons like he sort of did in the movie. Right. I don't. In the movie, I remember, like, he suspended it for a little while, and I don't... It's not really clear if he's... Ever started it up again. Yeah. But, like, in the, in the comics, it's expressly stated that, like, he still makes weapons for the U.S. military to, at you know, up until the 80s, like, fight Russians, you know? Um, and then now, like, he's always helping them fight terrorists or whatever with, with his new guns and whatnot. Um, and it's, it's sort of funny that he's, he's going counter-counter-culture to be like, uh, I'm going to make a guy that even the hippies won't like. <laughs> Take that, dirty hippies. <laughs> that scene where, again, they throw it in his face is a little later. They get on the ship, they put uh, Loki in the prison, and they do have then, I think, business of trying to figure out what he's after. And uh, then Black Widow tricks him into saying that it's he's going to use the Hulk somehow or turn them against him, each other, like you said. Um, and then they immediately walk into that. Like she's like, "Oh, we have to get Banner to a secure area." And I'm like, "Why? He's been handling all the agitation, aggravation. Like, what is Loki going to do? Yeah, piss if, him off? If Banner's not talking to Loki, he's probably okay." Yeah. So I'm like. What is going to be the inciting incident? And she walks in and she's like, we have to move you. And he's like, why? You think I'm going to get angry? I'm like, is this the inciting incident? He wanted him, her to figure out what he was after so that she would piss him off. But it seems like all of them just come in and start picking on each other. And they're like, yeah, well, you've been lying to us about these weapons. You've been lying to it. You know, and they're like, well, we had good reason because we're fighting gods and stuff all of a sudden. And then they all just start yelling. And I don't know if they're actually canted angles or anything with them cutting around. There's a few, yeah. But then, ultimately, uh, Bruce Banner's holding the lance, or holding the scepter, with the glowing blue orbit, and it just, there was a second where I'm like, is that getting giving off negative energy? I, I mean, thought that was. I thought that was the point. Yeah, so it wasn't clear. I'm like, is it the slime from Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> or something, all of a sudden? Like... They needed a shot of Loki, like, concentrating or something, and then a shot of the scepter to, like, yes, ham-handed, like, throw it in my face. But I didn't think it was clear enough the way it was that this was his plan, and that's how he's doing it. So, uh, ultimately, oh, then uh, the results come up. They're about to start fighting each other, but the computer chirps that they found the uh, gamma radiation signature for the cube, I think, is what Bruce Banner and uh, Tony Stark have been working on. And then... Bruce Banner's the only one that walks over to the monitor and says, oh my god, it's... And then Hawkeye shoots a uh, small little arrow <laughs> with a tiny explosive charge into one of the four uh, rotors on this giant ship that could have just been in the water, but they had to prop up in the air, and everything goes to hell. And uh, he gets thrown through the lab window and everything. Fun fact, which uh, is either uh, will make you feel better or terrify you, a uh, passenger airplane can fly and land with one engine. No, yeah, I was aware of that. Um, I don't know that this ship is designed. I don't know <laughs> if the helicopter is designed correctly. That uh, losing one is enough to like. You should have a backup. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, he hot air balloons come out of the center <laughs> of the deck and is like, or parachutes just to slow your descent. But no, they're pretty screwed. So uh, they all break up, and Iron Man and Captain America go to fix it. 
Hulk gets thrown through the glass with Black Widow and they're on a lower deck now. And he's hulking out. And I'm like, what pissed him off? Like, they were all getting angry, but then it stopped. And he's like, oh, look at this. And then is it just the physical damage of getting thrown through? I thought fear and anger sort of trigger him. Like, if he just gets into an emotional state. Yeah. And, like, if your life is threatened. And he did state that when he tried to shoot himself, he turned into the Hulk. Yeah. uh, The other guy. Um, so clearly, like, if he's in a life-threatening situation, he hulks out. Although, he hulked out pretty slow in this. And the bullet moves pretty fast when the gun is in your mouth. Like, how did he... And he seemed to be trying to hold in the Hulk for, yeah. for a bit. So that's sort of bizarre that, that he... You'd think, I'm going to try and kill myself. So one of the things I'm going to do is try to not hulk out. Yeah. <laughs> and I only have to not hulk out for, for a fraction of a second. Create some herbal tea. Right. Light some incense. Uh, it was, I think, not really well established what causes him to hulk out in this, and it even through the ending, uh, which we'll get to later, but not knowing, again, much about comics, or the Hulk has entirely different mythos and strands of what controls him. Because There's of the TV series and stuff? No, even the comics go through different incarnations. There's, like, the Grey Hulk, where oh, I yeah. think he can control it, or he's the Hulk the whole time. There's maybe a red... Mr. Fix-It? There's a okay. Um, he t- he turns into a mob boss at some point as the Hulk wearing a fedora and a large That's jacket. That's right, I recall. So yeah, he's got a. There's a and lot of different. Don't forget She Hulk. Right now, that part's obvious. Where he got a sex change? No, no. There's uh, I, no, his sure. his cousin can control it, and she can just turn back and forth whenever she wants. And she decides she enjoys being Hulk better, or she yeah. enjoys being She Hulk better. And uh, she's also a lawyer, and so she practices law. Big and green, wearing tights, defending superheroes from lawsuits. It's an amazing comic. Wow. <laughs> I was aware of, the, of her as a separate character. I did not know that was her background. I really, like, if I could make any comic book movie, I would totally make She-Hulk. <laughs> but uh, back on the Hella carrier with the Hulk hulking out, um, Black Widow has to run, but her leg is trapped, so there's some tension there. Uh, Iron Man has to get the rotor going uh, while Captain America helps him. But meanwhile, bad guys are going through the place to shoot up things. And uh, I think, oh, Thor goes after Loki in the uh, cell that was meant for the Hulk. And he tricks him into Thor into diving at his How did he get out of the cell? Uh, Looking at him, he teleported around as much as he wanted. Or I'm not sure if he... make projections of himself. Yeah. But that doesn't... He can't actually just teleport. Maybe one of the guys from the helicopter ran in and hit the open button. They're like, okay, now hide. Yeah. It, uh, it wasn't clear, but that was another thing. Is I wasn't I was thinking back to Thor of, what were his powers again? <laughs> because I'm like, he's got some kind of wizardry going on here, clearly. But is he actually like phase shifting or teleporting and he could have done this the whole time? Or is he just projecting? There, there's lots of... Uh... Fighting going on, like Thor takes on Hulk, which is a you know they're the only they're the most physically powerful of the characters, uh, and then Hulk gets distracted and jumps out the window onto an airplane. <laughs> well, no, yeah, actually, that I got wrong jumping to Loki in the prison. It was uh, Black Widow evades, I think, the Hulk, and then Thor comes in to challenge him because he's the only one that can kind of. And there is a great shot where he turns around and in slow motion hits him with the hammer, and Hulk staggers back into a jet and then uh, lunges forward and I think Hulk tries to pick up the hammer but he can't. Right, because he was not worthy at that point. Right. 
And for a second, I was like, is it just really, really heavy? Like, how come the helicarrier doesn't just go down or it doesn't just tear through the floor? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so then... It, it, it's a mystical thing. They said it in the, in the Thor yeah, movie that whoever is, whoever is Hopkins, worthy of doing it. Hopkins breathes onto it and says whoever's worthy will lift this. So it's, uh, I remembered that it was mystical. But, yeah, then a, a jet comes and Nick Fury orders it to distract the Hulk. And he jumps out and grabs onto it. And then the Hulk's outside. So I guess Thor then goes to confront Loki. And I think uh, Black Widow then starts fighting Hawkeye. Which, again, it was uh, that was sort of an awesome fight. Because it was two people doing things that two people can actually do. And oftentimes, you have a chick beating up a dude. You're like, you're tiny. You're five foot two and you weigh 100 pounds. Like, I could take you on. And Jeremy Renner seems like kind of a small guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Like <laughs> Although he is muscular. 5'8 uh, or something. Yeah. But it seemed simple. reasonable for once that, that she was evenly matched with him. And they were also sort of in a tight space, so there was a lot of like maneuverability yeah. counted for a lot. She's leaping around posts and flipping to the other side of yeah. the catwalk. And I, I, they, they, in a boxing match, he would have won, but like because of the way they built it, like it was reasonable that she was, despite being smaller in stature, was able to fight him. Um, uh, and it was an exciting fight and, and all that stuff. And then she slams his face into something and suddenly his rearranges his brains like it's a sitcom. So now he's fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a little, uh, much. And I was like, really? Like later, you know, after the, all the fighting's done, he's like, what happened to me? And she's like, I re cognitive realignment or something. I hit you in the head. I was like, really? That's what overcomes mystical interdimensional <laughs> demigod powers. Is a frying pan to the back of the head. <laughs> the same thing that causes, again, sitcom amnesia. <laughs> so that was a little iffy, but uh, they needed, I guess, to set up later with Stellan Sarsgaard, so. Well, and it also, just like in terms of time, let's get him back. Yeah. They, I mean, we did talk about it 60% through the movie and he's been a bad guy <laughs> with no backstory that we know of aside from people that know the comic well. Yeah, I mean, the. So having him deprogrammed from like being tortured by terrorists like that's that's not a uh, interesting or it's a lengthy process. I was gonna say that sounds interesting. <laughs> it's a whole other movie. That would be kind of a cool movie. Um, uh, it's the sequel to uh, Iron Man and Pepper Potts having a dinner together. Actually, wait, no, Jeremy Renner's in the new Bourne movie, and I think that's the whole movie. <laughs> him strapped to a chair, bleeding and stuff, while Edward Norton or once Albert again Finney talks to him. Once again, going back to my theory that uh, all all actors are playing the same character all the way through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Edward Norton in the Bourne. Hulk. Recovering yeah, from being Bruce <laughs> So, but we've, uh, again, back to Loki in the cell, tricks Thor diving in, drops him, which was interesting, and I was like, just smash it. Smash it with your hammer. Jump out. Do something. And he's tumbling, and they do actually cut inside of him trying to, but he gets moved away from the glass. And the visuals on him falling were actually very well done. It didn't look affecty at all. One thing about that is that in the first movie, I was not clear as to his flying ability. And in this one, they, they made sure every time he's flying, he, like, swings his hammer a little bit first and then, like, helicopter. lets it go. Yeah. And, and, well, no, 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 it's not helicopter. It's, it's, it's like of the hammer carrying him? Yeah, exactly. There's sort of a momentum thing, which you wouldn't have while you're in the little box. And so, like, as illogical as doing a hammer throw and holding on to the end, it flings you, like, it... At least it's something, and so I sort of understood why he wasn't getting out of it. 
Oh, I um, didn't catch that yet in the first movie. Uh, I was like, why? He can fly, right? It's not clear. And in this, he definitely was spinning it. But a lot of the times where he was spinning it, I'm like, is that, like, again, helicoptering him up? <laughs> he's got a little jet around it? But then I was like, oh, I guess it's heavy enough that he's he's just throwing it and he's tagging along. Yes. Um, so uh, he finally breaks out of it, and I think his hammer goes skittering off, and he finally has He has to go pick it up, by the way, and it's in a field of daisies. And it's an interesting-looking shot. It's very vertical, uh, high up, with him looking down at it and, like, considering he has to clench his hand. And I'm like... Is there a psyching up thing that he has to do to lift it? Or it wasn't, it looked great and it almost felt panel like with how vertical it was and it, it went to that bleach bypass process of having a lot more grit, which really read, uh, really resonated because he had just crashed into sand and dirt, so it felt like it should be gritty. But I wasn't clear on why he had to focus before he could lift it. It seemed to me, the way I interpreted it was, he was not sure after having lost the battle and the ship crashed and all his friends are scattered, he wasn't sure if he was worthy. And he was just, he didn't want that that moment of grabbing it and then realizing once again, I can't pick it up like he couldn't in in halfway through the first Thor movie. That's what I, that's what I read it as. And then he picked it up and I was like, oh, problem solved. (laughs) I mean, that'd be interesting backstory. I didn't know how to convey that without, again, flashbacks, which I didn't want in the movie or things like that. But to have some kind of self-doubt and him never having lost or something uh, would have been something. Would have been actually kind of special there. So uh, I could see reading into it, but I didn't at the time. I see. I, I read into it, and so I thought that that was a thing. I thought that was going to be a plot that went on for a couple of scenes, yeah. where like he's sitting there trying to figure out how to be worthy enough or something. And uh, nope, he just picks it up, and he moves along on his day. Good yeah. job, Thor. <laughs> but meanwhile, back up on the helicarrier, uh, Loki's trying to leave, and Agent Colton has his uh, weapon that uh, he doesn't know what it does, but he gets his time to shine. And you think it's just going to be plucky comic relief time? But then instead he gets stabbed through the chest. Which is how Joss Whedon does. I mean, he's, he's like, oh, look, this is a funny scene. Fuck you, audience. I'm going to kill your favorite character. Yeah, and that uh, I didn't see coming. Although, I mean, I wondered why Kobe Smulders was there and was like, oh, she's like replacing Black Widow and Agent Colton, I guess, without thinking like, Agent Colton's going to die. <laughs> uh, and it was a elegant solution to having some real stakes in the game, like, paying the pound of flesh or having a character die without it being a comic book character. Yeah. I don't know if in any of the S.H.I.E.L.D. incarnations they specifically have. I'm not sure if you... I think he's an original character. So, it's it's kind of a hefty bet to lay of, hey, we're going to get rid of a character, and you're like, oh, well, it's not a comic book character, one of the heroes, but he is someone that people have grown to like over the course of the movie. And uh, Clark Gregg, honestly, he, he operates much like Robert Downey Jr. in all of these movies, his character isn't necessarily the greatest, but he is so good at it and so funny and interesting as that guy uh, that I like the character because of Clark Gregg more than anything else. And he's well-written in this one, and they, they elaborate his character and stuff, but it was a large part of it is just Clark Gregg doing a good job of being that guy. Uh, and it's disappointing when he, when he is killed, but uh, as you said, necessary in terms of adding some weight to the to the stakes of the film. Yeah, this movie, I think, uh, he was the most likable. And in Iron Man 2, I think I didn't really like him. And when he goes to see the hammer uh, at the end of Iron Man 2, I think, or, you know, to preface Thor, 
I thought he was a bit lightweighted to be introing, you know, or having Dakota hang on him. Um, so he hasn't been my favorite ever, but this movie really made you like him right at the last minute before, so that the, his death was more impactful. I was I was charmed by him from the first Iron Man movie when he would say, let's see, how do you, it's a mouthful, Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. When he would say that with a straight face, he said it like three times in the movie. And the first time he said it, I grabbed my wife's hand and I was like, did, did you hear, did that stand for S.H.I.E.L.D.? She's like, what the hell are you talking about? And the second time I was like, S-H-I, that's S.H.I.E.L.D. She's like, I don't know what that means. But in any case, like, his performance of just like, I'm a nerdy government agent, but he knew that S.H.I.E.L.D. was awesome and and we in the audience, at least some of us in the audience knew what S.H.I.E.L.D. meant. Him playing that bland leading up to Sam Jackson coming in in the, in the after credit sequence made him awesome to me. And so I've liked him from the, that very first moment. Um, he was sort of dorky in a way that he was confident in his actual abilities and uh, didn't care what you, that you thought he was a dork. And I, and he, I thought Clark Gregg played that perfectly and then he continued doing that in all of the different Thor, and I, I, he showed up briefly in Iron Man 2. Um, and I I dug him all the way through. So uh, in this one, he was, uh, I, don't, I mean, honestly, of all of them, he might even be my favorite character yeah, I of mean, the various Avengers. He uh, definitely was plucky, and exactly as you said in this one, like, nerdy but uh, confident in it, and that's how he died in kind of jokingly said, you know, talking Loki back over to him or talk, saying, oh, I don't even know what this gun does. Then he's stabbed and he's like, you you won't win. And he's uh, very he's very uh, genuine at the point he's dying. He said the, one of the reasons he's carrying around Captain America's cards and everything is because he just is a good guy and believes in doing right the way Captain America did, you know, in the for, in his movie. So all of that seems like that's why it would resonate with him and he'd have his cards. And that's what he's kind of expositing. What's that called? Expositing. Expositing that. And then it turns out he's tricking Loki to walk closer to him so he can shoot him. And he gets off one shot as he's dying, which makes you like him even more. Right. And then he makes a, a he has that Bond one-liner. Oh, that's what that does. Yeah. <laughs> which is funny. And Well, uh, yeah, and then... Uh, Nick Fury does show up and say, we're going to get you patched up. And he says, no, uh, I don't think I'm going to make it, boss, but it's good. They need something to... And then cuts off. Even he recognizes... Yeah, when that, that happened, I was like, they need what? What do they need? <laughs> I was really confused by that. Oh. Until Nick Fury said it later, they need someone to bring them together. Yeah, no, I... With the way he uh, talked uh, like towards the end and was so genuine and uh, genuine, like heartfelt American... Boy, I was like, he's just like Bucky. This is going to remind Captain America of Bucky. That word is going to come up in the next ten minutes. And then it did not. But <laughs> I got it. So Again, it might be in the deleted scenes or yeah. something. But uh, I I totally bought his death, and it was heartbreaking and all that stuff. Even, even excluding the previous movies, it works really well within this movie. Yeah. I think Colby Smulders, for the, for the rest of the movie, doesn't really do that much other than say yes sir to Nick Fury but because she's a sitcom actress which is uh Clark Gregg is he was on uh New Adventures of Old Christine for six years or whatever yeah. um her 
I think she can handle the dry delivery and, and sort of being funny without the character. She, the actress, can be funny without the character knowing that she's being funny. Um, that sort of thing. I feel like she can pull that off, but she didn't wasn't given anything in this movie. But I, I, I have confidence that in the future Marvel movies when she shows up, that it will that she'll work as a replacement for him. Yeah, I don't know if tone-wise she's going to be the same. She's not the uh, same, but... Right, but uh, I don't know how much I look forward to seeing her in other stuff. She only distracted me for the first part of this one, <laughs> and then I kind of let it go. But I think that's going to happen each time she shows up. So <laughs> future movies, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> Gotta relearn this. And so unless they give her a more dynamic range than this one had, I don't know that she like feels like a, a one-to-one replacement. Yeah, that that's certainly possible. Um, and then we also find out after Nick Fury gathers them all and is like, you guys need to do something because there's blood on these cards. Uh, and we find out afterwards that he actually planted that, that like that didn't really happen. I, w- I really like that because Nick Fury is one of his central things is that he manipulates the heroes into doing shit um, that they don't want to do. And... He didn't really do much manipulating. Like, every time we had seen him in the other movies, he just sort of shows up and is like, hey, you want to do something? Yeah. And they're like, uh, I don't know. And he's like, you better do it. That's it. Yeah. And he just sort of Sam Jacksons them into doing it. But in this one, he finally did some, like, uh, uh, it's it's a little underhanded. Like, it's yeah. almost like what Loki is doing, except he's doing it for good. So, you know, that's it's a little... Uh, there's a fine line, morally speaking, as to, like, is it okay that he's tricking them and lying about the death of someone but saving the world in the process? Like, you know, that's... You have to... You know, he's willing to to push that line in order to protect everyone. It, just like when he was lying about, I, I'm taking this cube thing and making weapons out of it. Like, he's... You know, this is another He's saying example. our motives are good, though. Right. I mean, he tries to justify it. Ends justify the means is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> so, that seems to be his catchphrase. And since he's a good guy, you almost go, yeah, maybe they will. Uh, the, <laughs> ruining the cards with the blood uh, seems like a small manip- you know, manipulation, but is in line with exactly the right push that they needed. So, Well, it's not the ruining the cards that I'm no, finding. I about. was pissed it's... off that he took him out of the protective case. <laughs> It's the lying about about the circumstances of someone's death okay. that I found morally questionable. Right. Not the ruining baseball cards. They were Captain America. The gum is they so were... old. <laughs> but then uh, I think at some point in all this or after this, we see uh, Hulk wakes up in a pile of rubble. Pantsless, because he doesn't have his magic purple pants that he had in the other two movies. Yeah. And then Harry Dean Stanton shows up as the security guard to wake him up. Which stuck out because uh, he was uh, in Alien. Uh, he one of the crew members that dies. He was the dad in Pretty in Pink. I think he acted a lot before that. He was in Repo Man with Emilio Estevez. Like, but even before, I think the '80s, he had an acting career. People knew his name, and he was doing cameos in those uh, movies. Or people would be like, "Oh, look, Harry Dean Stanton is showing up in this out of nowhere." And then he shows up in this out of nowhere and has a very small part, and then goes away. And I'm like. What was that about? Uh, I don't know if he knows Joss Whedon or there's some <laughs> if there was a reference there or if he just takes what he can get now. And... <laughs> it was pretty random. It seems like he should have other things to do. But... Uh, just small points, but that might be how big this movie is, that even the day players are like somewhat recognizable actors and 
It's not a reference. That's just those <laughs> people are working. <laughs> Hulk gets some clothes from him and then disappears from the movie for the next 45 minutes and shows up on a motorcycle later. I hope there's a deleted scene somewhere in there that explains something. Because I was like, when is he going to come back? When is he going to confront the fact that he hulked out and almost killed people? Like, nothing. It's so bizarre. Like, there's no... It does, it's not addressed at all. It's addressed in Robert Downey Jr. saying, where's... Has he shown up yet? Because he knows he can rely on him. Has he just been riding a motorcycle for yes, the last he two days? Or not hulked out. He can't just leap. When well, it's not, not if the world is in danger, Hulk out and do some leaping. Well, Apparently he can control it. We are ignoring, we find out later. well, we're ignoring the Eric Bana incarnation where he sits and ponders the lotus flower <laughs> in the Grand Canyon and then can do good and uh, decide what to do. And so up to this point, he's been trying to repress it because he can't control it. So he has to borrow or steal a motorcycle and just drive to New York from wherever they were. They were on the coast somewhere, I don't know. Does that happen in the original Hulk? I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah, god-awful. I don't remember that movie. He, uh... I remember he, the Hulk dogs like, and me like that. He's in, deep. like, New Mexico or somewhere, learning about the, uh, the uh, how he came to be with the nuclear radiation and experimenting. And then they're doing another nuke at him or something. They're like, oh, here he is, let's get him with everything. And he just, he can leap ten miles or whatever. But he leaps away from the explosions... Like, touches down, leaps again in the Grand Canyon. And that's what, another thing that was stupid about the first Hulk. He leaps, and he's, you know, he's supposed to come in like a, a freight truck being dropped from space, right? Comes in and leaps again, but then he touches his toes on, like, the Grand Canyon, and then goes off again, and then he just oh, yeah. stops and looks. I swear, he's, like, meditating. And, he, like, they show shots of flowers and water trickling, and he's, like, at peace and still hulked. And then he leaps to San Francisco... To fight, uh, I forget who the bad guy was. Absorbing man. Yeah. Um, oh, Nick Nolte. Water. He fights water. <laughs> he turns electrical at some point. Oh, God. <laughs> Stupid crap. So, yes, he has to drive from New Mexico or wherever they were. Well, they were on the, the coast. Coast. Because he says bit... crash the ship into the water, not into the eastern yeah. seaboard. It looked a bit like Florida or something where uh, Thor was picking up his hammer. So. Drive a motorcycle from Florida to New York, and you're complaining that it, was, it took him 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've met, in screen time, cut to him every once in a while, just... Well, on the motorcycle, <laughs> going through toll bridges. I don't have my wallets in my purple pants. You are making me so upset right now. <laughs> you, you would not like me when I'm annoyed. Uh, but, so then we cut back to uh, Tony Stark and Captain America examining where Agent Colton died. And wondering, you know, why he did this, what was the goal. And, uh, you know, Captain Rex says, oh, he came in and he scattered us or, you know, slapped us around in our home, home base. It's like, right, that's the whole point. And uh, the revealer, Tony Stark, figures out that Loki's whole plan was to come in and shame them and slap them around. He then goes on a rant saying, he wants people groveling at his feet. He wants a tower built with his name up to the heavens. Oh, crap, I know where it is. <laughs> and then it cuts to Stark Tower. Where Stellan Sarsgaard's setting up the cube on top. And, uh, it, which I remember the moment when Mark Ruffalo sees the screen, the results are done. He says, Oh, I found out where it is. Oh my God, it's. And I remember the explosion happening, and I'm like, It's right outside? Like, was the realization that they're here because they have the cube on the helicopter? And, he, and it's preceded by the explosion? But then when they reveal, you know, Stark Tower, I'm like, Or was it the revelation to him, like, 
it's in New York or it's on Stark Tower. Like, was that going to be his next line? It was there the whole time with Stellan Sarsgaard? Oh, that, uh, it had been so long since I had seen the Hulk, I didn't remember that happening. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that it was supposed to say, oh, it's at Stark Tower. Yeah, so when I first saw the, hel- you know, the helicopter and explode, I'm like, why would they have it on the helicopter? Because I thought he was saying, oh, crap, they're outside. The calls are coming from inside the helicarrier. <laughs> uh, but I, in later... The when- babies weren't even upstairs the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So... That, uh, but then when we see it's on Stark Tower, I'm pretty sure it was there the whole time, getting set up by Stellan Sarsgaard. Right. Uh, and so they ultimately... Who's much cheaper than Natalie Portman. Uh, uh, apparently. Because I'm sure it would have been written for her, because it would have had a lot more resonance if Natalie Portman had been doing that. But uh, she's expensive. For as much as they were stealing people's minds, it did seem like you had to have the knowledge, like, she was studying all the astrophysics stuff, but it still seemed like Stellan Sarsgaard was the heavy in the... Uh, you know, yeah, studying the cube, like, you know, for S.H.I.E.L.D. So, uh, I could see it being both ways. They would have written her in at some point. She would have been tagging along, helping him, maybe. But, yeah. Iron Man flies on ahead to go talk to Loki, and he walks around without his suit on, and he's drinking and being all charming. And I was like, what is the point of this scene? What is happening with this scene? This... Why is Loki not just killing him? Why is Iron Man talking to like it? It was a weird like it seemed like it was written just so that Iron Man could have or rather it seemed like it was written so that Robert Downey Jr. could have a, another like cool quippy scene where he's confronting the villain FaceTime with him without the suit right and it, it was it it seemed like it was just for that and then it turns out oh he's trying to distract Loki. Uh, so that the the rest of the heroes have time to catch up because they're not as fast as Iron Man. Well, it was also um, he's I think he's flying in and his, his Jarvis is telling him uh, that his suit he's losing power because he had to use afterburners to get the uh, rotor going back on the the helicarrier to save all of them in the first place. So he's on like bingo for fuel when he comes flying in and he needs to get the Mark Seven or whatever his latest suit is going to be. So he disassembles the suit, but. It's almost, I mean, bravado and a bluff. The reason Loki's not killing him is there's no reason he would take off his suit for, you know, unless there's something going on. And he is going over to the bar pretending to drink when he's really getting the wristbands that activate his, his next incarnation of suit. But he's acting cool and collected like, oh, of course I'm, you know, cocky and uh, secure in the fact that you can't, you won't attack me because you can't. I know something. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. does this so well. He... In Sherlock Holmes, it reminded me of when he gets thrown into prison, Ugh, and there's I like hate Sherlock, Holmes. Sherlock Holmes was delightful. It's again, it runs entirely on Robert Downey Jr. charm without any giant robots, so yeah. it doesn't have the Iron Man charm. And then watch the BBC one; it's a zillion times better. I, I don't know that it it does any kind of service to Sherlock Holmes' actual <laughs> character, but Robert Downey Jr. is clever in it and again he gets thrown into prison and there's all these big men menacing him and then uh, Watson comes to bail him out and uh, Robert Dan- the, uh, Sherlock Holmes has them in stitches because he's telling them jokes and uh, we had thought he was in dire straits and then he says thank you Watson you saved me just in the nick of time I was out of jokes and he's like I'm sure you you know and he doesn't believe that he was in danger but he was saying that he was bluffing you know just keeping them going so this strikes me as a similar dynamic where He's acting so confident and everything as a bluff, but it's actually 
working. So he it, gets, it works, but it, in retrospect, it makes sense. But at the time I'm watching, as I'm going through it, I'm like, this seems like fan service just to stick us with. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing to judge then and say, oh, well, it actually makes sense within the story world retrospectively, but... I don't know. Um, but, it, it again, it, he's charming enough and funny enough that, like, you forgive a lot of those things. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Loki pokes him with the stick. Tries to Which, him. did Iron Man know that that was going to happen? No. Oh, did he, did they know at any point that Loki was doing the stick thing to people? Uh, Sam Jackson saw Hawkeye get to or, So did Iron Man know that he was invincible to it? Like, no. He went in with no plan and just hoping things would work out. And guess what? They do. <laughs> that is his superpower. He's plus ten charming. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And yet he takes, without missing a beat, uh, says, oh, well, performance anxiety, you know. And it's also funny because Loki's like, usually this works. And he's just <laughs> tinking in the chest. He can't figure out why either because it is an alien artifact to him too, you know, that's just been doing this thing the whole time. So I think that was another delightful moment full of humor. And then he uh, he finally throws him out the window, and his suit catches up with him. Uh, and, I mean, meanwhile, he's been threatening him in all the stuff that's been in the trailers where, I have an army. We have a Hulk, you know. And right. He's like, you also pissed off one person. And then throws him out the window, suit catches up with him. Uh, and then, actually, yeah, on the ship, by the way, back on the helicarrier, he was like, oh, I'm running out of power and everything. Or he has to go, like, open up a huge vault to get his Iron Man suit. And I'm like, in Iron Man 2, it was in a briefcase. Like, why don't you have that as a backup? Like, oh, no, I'm running out of fuel. Bust out the briefcase one. It, doesn't the suit run on his chest thing, or is that a separate thing? I'm also confused about that. It is confusing. It's, yeah, I think supposed to be powered by his... Because uh, if his chest thing is losing power, then he's also just dying of shrapnel. Right. Uh, but it felt like they delineated in this one that the power, because when he gets charged by Thor, you know, his heart coil doesn't go crazy. So they seem to have a delineation that they're separate. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, he finally gets the Mark 7 or whatever one on, and then he flies back up and says, you pissed one other person off, his, age, his name was Phil Coulson, and, you know, just to give that last little service to why they're here fighting for the little guy. Avengers assemble uh, in New York, and then the uh, portal opens up, and the Chitari come through, which is the alien race that Loki's been uh, partnering with. Without any explanation. They're just... Generic aliens. I mean, there's some history of them in the Marvel Universe or comics and stuff, but honestly, they're just aliens with big ships. I, I was fine with that. I no, don't yeah. know, like I said, I don't usually like the aliens that show up in uh, comic books and things or animated storylines, so I was fine with them being interchangeable. People talked about the lead-up to it, whether it was the Kree or the Skrull or the, I don't know what. Uh, so they fly through. And they uh, look like, from one of the Mummy movies, they got bladed things and jump around, but then they have the they, large... They seem to be on, like, scooters that attach to their faces. I was yeah. a little confused by how they control it. I was like, you're just... With their you're... tongues. Yeah, like, like, let's do it differently than any other movie, okay? Right. And I was like, eh, that's... I mean, that's different. Good Something. job. But uh, then they also have the large flying uh, worms. Space whales. Yeah, space yeah. whales. They are a bit like in Dune, the uh, <laughs> council or whatever that is, the, the interdimensional whale things. But they reminded me most of Gears of War, where uh, they essentially are in space marines fighting aliens. Um, but they have these large insect, you know, like worm things that they have militarized by infusing metal and blades. And, you know, like their whole 
everything. They don't have tanks. They have large bug or, you know, animal things that they've strapped metal to and are commanding. So they seem like they're tortured beasts, and you feel sorry for them, except that they're crushing you. So that was interesting because I hadn't seen it as much in movies. Yeah, uh, it, they were cool looking, and, and I appreciated they were threatening enough looking that I was like, yeah, whatever, they're... They don't have any special powers. They just have cool ships and, and alien space whales. And uh, let's blow things up. And then they did. And for the next, like, 20 minutes or something, it the fight goes on. But interestingly, it never gets sort of boring and repetitive. Like, they keep finding things for each character and their special ability to do yeah. something. Hulk punches things hard and Thor hammers things. And uh, Yeah, uh, Captain America even tells the police on how to, like secure buildings and get people that are trapped in a bank out and at first they don't want to listen to him till he kills a few of them with his shield and then they start doing exactly what he's doing or exactly what he said which is interesting because in a lot of movies like this you go yeah they're up there punching everything but that building just fell over and there's a lot of people dying you know so this they were even like i think at one point there was a bus trapped you know between them and uh the fire line so like they Iron Man distracts them while Black Widow and Hawkeye, like, get the people out of the bus. And they are just doing on-the-ground facilitating, like, civil protecting civilians. I still don't think that you could evacuate a city that... Oh, yeah, no. Those space wheels were going so fast and going over so many blocks that, like, many thousands of people were killed. Yeah. But no. they even address that at the end of the movie. Like, they show the rubble and they're like, there's lots of people dead, but... Far less than what would have happened if the Avengers weren't here. Right, and I think that was one of the more admirable things, is that they're still trying to help. They're not just like, look at this, widespread destruction. What is helping these 15 people trapped in this bus going to really do? For the, in the grand scheme of things, they're like, hey, 15 people trapped in a bus, go. So that uh, aspect of it I actually found a little refreshing, because I was like, yeah, you are losing the overall thing, but do what you can you know, for the time being. And they seem to almost acknowledge that. And we we talked about with the trailer, you know, when we talked about it, that Black Widow and Hawkeye don't seem like they're on equal footing with anyone else there. And they do do what they can. Like, Hawkeye is up on a building just shooting arrows. And he's, like, calling out. Like, he's seeing things that everybody else isn't seeing. Yeah. Telling Iron Man there's three on your tail, you know, like, leading them down 47th. Or they can't turn very well. And so he's giving them intel. And eventually Black Widow is the one who gets up to the top of the building because none of the aliens are... They're focusing on Thor and Hulk and Iron Man and not noticing some chick in a cat suit, you know, by herself going up to the roof and then eventually, you know, shutting it down by herself, basically, or coming close to. Yeah, and meanwhile, Nick Fury is trying to keep a council from nuking the whole city. Uh, Outbreak style, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, which he they start a jet up and are having it fly towards and he busts out a rocket launcher and shoots his own plane down. When I saw that, I was like, you're shooting at an American airman? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's a how he much. operates. And, and it, like, it ends up, like, it doesn't destroy the plane. Like, oh, yeah. it just, it gets to a stop and the cat and the guy who was flying it was like, woo, I almost, that was scary. <laughs> there was a little bit uh, kid glove where they had to show the, I think the guy's alive, but there was a second jet and he doesn't have a second... A Which, how much room do you think is on an aircraft carrier? Not a lot. You don't have... If one airplane crashes, you uh, can't take I'm another gonna, airplane I'm going to really quick correct you. It's a helicarrier. <laughs> so uh, they have plenty of room. Uh, and I love the fact that he pulls out his pistol once the second jet is taking off. Because in the beginning scene that you dislike so much, when they, his helicopter crashes, he jumps out, rolls, and then gets up and is shooting at uh, the jeep that's getting away with them with a pistol. And it just seems to be his M.O. 
So he's considering that. He's just plane. not giving up, which yeah. is kind of cool. Uh, Hulk shows up like at some point during that uh, sequence. Yeah. And this becomes my biggest, most confusing part of the movie. By the way, we've now passed the uh, length of the film. Awesome. Uh, Hulk shows up, and but he's not as Hulk. He shows up as Bruce Banner, and then he says, My secret is, I'm angry all the time. And then he turns around. So why aren't you Hulk all the time? Because I don't understand. He is the... constantly running on a uh, amount of angry, and he has to learn to deal with it. He can't just sit, bottle it up, and then it explodes into Hulk. He should be angry, reasonably so, at all the time. All the time. The only thing he's embraced it. The only thing we know about the Hulk is that when Bruce Banner gets angry, he turns into the Hulk. You've completely turned that upside down. With no explanation. See, that's what I talked about with, I think there are incarnations where he can either control it, or when he's hooked out, he has some control and is good. And, and so, in this I one, don't he know clearly, if... He's clearly good in the final battle, and clearly yeah. has some mental control. Why doesn't he have that in the helicarrier when he's just trying to eat Black Widow? Like, yeah. it doesn't... There's no explanation in between, and it... Something happened and when I was riding the motorcycle during that 45 exactly. minutes. I want to know what it is. Did you see the Motorcycle Diaries? He did, he did oh, is that what it was? Him and Che Guevara traveled <laughs> through Argentina. Uh, no, I don't know what happened, and I agree that when we saw Thor contemplating picking up the hammer, you know, like, if that had been the Hulk, we'd be like, oh, maybe he's zenning out or, you know, coming to that point in the... the uh, Ang Lee one where he ponders the lotus flower in the middle of the Grand Canyon or some terrible crap that that was. <laughs> they did that in a good way here where he discovers the secret, you know, on the way. Not the self-help book. <laughs> uh, the secret to him being Hulk. Like, that would have been something. I had to kind of imagine that he did that or was working on it in India. But like I said, I don't know the backstory of Hulk or the various incarnations where, because, you know, he may Well, you can't it. deal with the various incarnations. I mean, we everybody knows Superman is from Krypton and he can fly, right? There are other versions. There's Superman Red and Superman Blue. There's Bizarro. Like, there's all of these other Superman things that the general audience doesn't know. So you have to explain it if you're going to use it in the movie. Right. There are nobody. My wife does not know who Mr. Fix-It is. My wife doesn't know about the Grey Hulk. you got to explain these things if you're going to use one of them. Yeah, I just and imagined that there might be a, a, one of them that I didn't know. But he turns and he uh, does start smashing things. He gets angry. And I was fine with him saying, I'm angry all the time. And being like, he's embraced it. But when he turns into Hulk, he is just smashing. And he's like, But he is things. only smashing bad things. But I took it as a level of scale of like, all these people around you are annoying because they're screaming. But those things are really annoying because they're shooting stinging phaser beams at me. I'm going with the most annoying thing here. So he starts smashing them, and he's smashing the big space whales because they're moaning like big, uh, annoying bastards. So I'm fine with it. They are the most visible thing in his uh, annoyometer. Uh, then he, uh, I think, wrestles one through Grand Central Station or something like that. Because you can't have a fight outside of a national monument. <laughs> like, it has to be at a recognizable location. Yeah. So they... Uh, at least know what he... Took the head off the Statue of Liberty in this one. <laughs> they should have used it to like. <laughs> or again, we referenced uh, Ghostbusters two earlier, so oh, yeah. there you go. Um, yeah, so he, I think, wrestles one to the ground, and Thor's standing next to him, and then he punches him. I was waiting for that because I was like, yes, they're the most annoying, but now there's someone else. Just he's the only one around, and he hits him, and I'm like, there you go. So they did pay lip service to oh, that. Oh, so you're saying he didn't have entire Bruce Banner did not have control of himself during that sequence. 
it didn't look like it for most of those times. I was fine with most of the battle. But then there is distinctly, towards the end, he goes, he goes up to Stark Tower. And he, uh, they, I forget how they corral him up there. But he confronts Loki. And Loki's uh, expounding to him how he's a god and he should kneel before him. And he grabs him by the feet and just whips him into the floor back and forth. And it was actually very funny because, like I said, in the only incarnation of the Avengers I ever read, it was that Hulk ultimately just took the bad guy who was indestructible and immortal and bit his head off. And he did kill him. So I was like, this is paying lip service to that. I didn't think he was going to actually kill him because it, it wasn't R-rated. Uh, so he whips him around and then he says, puny god or whatever, and walks off. And then it does show all of them assembling before him. And Hulk is standing there. I'm like, why is he not now punching like Black Widow or any of them <laughs> around him? Like, he did look like he had control at the end. And that part I went, now I have no excuse as to why that's happening. It doesn't make a lot yeah. of Well, they did do that final hero shot where they oh. circle around the three of them. And uh, we were making fun of it in the trailer, like Hawkeye has a bow and arrow and then Black Widow doesn't have anything. I didn't notice this in the trailer, but in the movie it's pretty clear. Not only does she only have two regular guns, they're about the smallest guns I've ever seen. She doesn't I, have, like, magnums no, or something. they're 9mm pistols, I think. I don't know what that means. Is that a small gun? It's like what police carry. It's a standard... Oh, okay. Yes. So, yes, he they pose, and I think even when they're on the ground and he's yelling and, you know... Or, screeching at the sky, there might still be aliens that are more annoying than Black Widow, who's right next to him. So that part I let go. Um, but later, it does have parts where he just seems fully in control. Yeah, it's it's bizarre without, without explanation. Uh, but generally speaking, that battle is so well done. Like, there, there's, there's like one shot where it goes from one person to another, all six of them, in one continuous take. Yeah. That's really cool. And then just all the characters are always doing something. You always know where everybody is. It's clear what the fight, you know, what the stakes, not just what the stakes are, but like physically where everybody is and who's in danger at what given point. And it works out. It's much better than the beginning of this film. And I've seen... Like, New York, well, I guess it was Chicago. It's hard to tell. In Transformers 3, New York gets destroyed. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know where anybody was. I just It was just stuff exploding. Like, this is very clear. I know all of these characters. I know what they're doing and why. And it was a very good action sequence for as long as it goes on. Um, and uh, and there's, there's lots of little beats that we couldn't possibly, like, address individually, like some of the one, bigger ones that we mentioned. Yeah, but even for just being a really well-done action sequence, they, they go with some off-the-wall shots that really work. There's, I think, a car blowing up where the camera is mounted inside the car and shows the full rotation. There's a Captain America is bouncing off shots and telling them where they need to move, and it's all shot in the rearview mirror of a motorcycle that's crashed on the ground next to him. Uh, so it, things like that are peppered through it that still keep it visually entertaining, even yeah. without big explosions. They're just really unique angles. Um... So then the, the nuke is coming in, and then Tony Stark, his, like, the end of his character journey is not being selfish, I guess. So yeah, there's... He's basically a children's book. <laughs> right. I was going to say, it, it calls... It, it goes back to him fighting with Captain America, where he says, Oh, you don't know about sacrifice because you're not a soldier. You'd never be the one to lay down on the line to let your buddy crawl over. And he's like, I'd cut the line. And he's like, you're always playing an angle. He's like, the genius, you know, saying he'd figure a way out that didn't involve sacrificing himself. And in this instance, he's seeing that there isn't one. And so he, uh, the missile's coming in, he flies up to it and is using all his boosters to push it 
up away from the building. And again, uh, hey, Thor's right there with the lightning power. Let's recharge Iron well, Man while he's trying to save everybody. It's funny because, the, again, the Ultimates or Avengers Incarnation had the ending with a large bomb that's about to go off and wipe out life on the planet. And uh, he's saying goodbye to Black Widow, who had a romance in the comic uh, this incarnation. And she thinks he's going to fly it off into space and sacrifice himself. He's like, oh, no, Thor's going to hit it with his hammer and zap to Valhalla or somewhere. Uh, and then he does that, and he doesn't have to sacrifice himself. <laughs> so, yeah, Thor charging him up would have been another shout-out to that. But I think him sacrificing himself was much more emotional. Yeah, no, it worked emotionally. And I, I think I even only thought of the lightning thing later on. Yeah. But So, and then he's even trying, he has Jarvis try and call Pepper Potts to uh, say goodbye because he's running out of energy pushing the rocket uh, up through the portal. And uh, it was very touching. And even just once he gets through into space and throws the nuke at the uh, enemy ship, they have an awesome shot of inside his helmet from uh, Profile and it just shows the light like fading as the batteries are dying, reflected in his eye, and it's reminiscent of 2001, and really just visually arresting and emotionally crescendoing on uh, him sacrificing it himself. And he falls uh, just as the uh, portal is closing. So, uh, very well done. Yeah, and then uh, Hulk frightens him awake, which, what? <laughs> I thought the problem was that he ran out of power. <laughs> like... Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I felt like his heart stopped, so maybe the uh, concussion uh, wave of Hulk shouting. Mm. I, I thought it was a little bit um, light-footed for uh, the emotional content it had just built up. But then he instantly starts talking and saves it all again with his charm wick he wants <laughs> to go to shawarma. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. It was, it was actually humorous. Which, uh, shawarma is good, by the way. I yeah, highly recommend it. They were making it up in that movie. That was the one most realistic part of this movie. Shawarma is delicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the, uh, what, oh, then I think is the part at which they all reassemble, and Loki is waking up from his being smashed through the floor by, uh, Hulk, and then they all pose in front of him in an intimidating manner, and he's kind of arrested at that point, and then I think they, you know, cut two shots of people criticizing the Avengers for the cost, and uh, maybe Samuel Jackson wraps it up with the council, saying that they'll be here because we need them to be. And then everybody says goodbye to each other, and they walk off. Like, why they didn't send Loki off right at that moment. Yeah, <laughs> but I, you need to be in Central Park or wherever to yeah. access... Uh, Asgard, apparently not. Yeah, well, whatever. But it worked, like, them saying goodbye. It was all sort of, like, there was no dialogue. It was just sort of music playing, and it looked nice. And it was a nice way. It was sort of Lord of the Ringsy kind of ending. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but it worked. Um, and they all walk away. Then they did that thing that we made fun of in another podcast where they didn't wait for the end of the credits to, to do the end credit sequence. <laughs> like, they show the real villain that was behind Loki, and it's, it's a character named Thanos, who, who's uh, which makes the 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 minion says something like, uh, "If we go after Earth, it'll be courting death," and the character's name is Thanos, which means death. Like he's he worships death or some such nonsense. That line means nothing oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know who the guy I is. Did, I thought it was Hellboy. Uh, <laughs> he kind of looked like him, but I just read it as I do not know who this guy is, and it will make sense if I did. I feel like it, it happens, though, if, you, if you're not into the comics, like at the end of the first Iron Man, Sam Jackson shows up with an eye patch, and you're like, what's going on here? And then I, at the end of Iron Man 2, Agent Coulson uh, 
calls in and he's like, we found the hammer. And my wife's like, what's up with the hammer? And I was like, it's Thor's hammer. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's usually a safe place to put uh, more comic booky stuff is in the coda. So uh, I didn't have a problem with it or feel like I, on the way out of the theater, pulled out my phone and I wrote the word who into Google. <laughs> and literally the first thing to pop up was who was the guy at the end of the Avengers? Just off the letters, the WHO. So uh, I hit it and it was like, yeah, Thanos, courts, death, you know, is an intergalactic guy and worships yeah. her as a deity and wants to uh, control it. He, yeah. So I was like, well, that made sense. Yeah, so that's obviously Avengers 2. And sure. like, I'm sure he'll pop up in Thor 2 and Iron Man 3. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Which is, uh, you know, fine. I like it's, it's We know there's going to be a sequel. Like, there's no point in pretending there's not. And at least they kept it as a separate thing and not part of the, the film itself. Yeah. And they're like, oh, the movie's to not be over. Yeah, like, it's done. And then, hey, just, you know, we're advertising a movie for next year or whatever. Yeah. I think Thor 2 comes out next year. And I'm sure he's in it and flying in space or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. And then... Uh, the credits kept going, and my wife was like, let's go home. And I was like, no, no, there's another one. She's like, why would there... We just saw the guy who I've never heard of before. And I was like, oh, there could be something else. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be awesome. And it was. <laughs> yep, it was all of them sitting around eating shawarma. In their outfits. Yes. And uh, apparently the story behind that is even more amazing. Joss Whedon thought of that scene after they had finished the movie. They went and shot it the evening that they had the Hollywood premiere of the film. They had shown it overseas already. They had premiered it in Los Angeles. And he said, you know what, let's go. We're all here. Yeah. There's a shawarma place <laughs> in Hollywood. I know. Zanku Chicken. Everybody put on your costume and uh, let's film this. And uh, the reason uh, Captain America has like his head in his hands or whatever, Chris Evans had grown a beard for another film. Nice. <laughs> and he's covering it up. And uh, like... And they added it so only Americans got to see this riveting scene. Take that, rest of the world. <laughs> it was hilarious. And it also went on for a good, like, 20 seconds or something. It was a really long time, and I was trying to figure out, like, what was the line that they were going to say something at the end. I was trying to figure out, like, what could possibly beat it, and then they didn't. They just, the funniest line is to just cut yep. away, and that was perfect. And it looks like Scarlett Johansson's not looking at Robert Downey Jr. or anyone, and I'm guessing it's because she could not probably keep from cracking up <laughs> at just him playing it straight, eating shawarma. So. Uh, it was it was a pretty hilarious scene, yeah. and I'm glad that I sat around for it. Um, so, and uh, it, that just sort of sums up the movie that they they went to the trouble to to put all the detail into this destroyed restaurant. They got a couple extras to sweep in the background. And, like, everybody's in their correct costume. And they're like, hey, Robert Downey Jr., chew for the next minute and a half. And that's it. Like, commit to the fact that you're tired and you're chewing. Okay? And, like, they really went for Like, whatever it is that they were doing, they always went for it. 100%. There was no, like, half-assing it. And this, the, that's this movie all the way through. Yeah, this is the best summer movie I've seen in a while. It's the best out of any comic book movie I think I've seen. I was expecting... You like it better than Dark Knight? Yes. Oh. I think uh, I was hoping for it to be, you know, on par with Iron Man or Dark Knight. I think Dark Knight is a, is darker uh, and a little more intriguing, you know? It sucks you in more to the story. This took, like, the popcorn action movie to the nth degree. There wasn't a lot of, like, uh, 
I don't want to say depth because we've discussed the, the number of layers on it, but they don't go down, you know. It's not real deep. It's really well done. It's like a Ferrari, you know what I mean? It's high energy. It's expertly crafted and, like, beautiful to look at. I would say, I, I, would, I would modify that a little bit. It's it's very emotional, and in that sense it's deep because I cared about all the characters. Right. And some of that... In some ways, this feels like a season finale of a television show that it relies on some of the goodwill from the previous five movies. Yeah. In the same way that a season finale, you you can only really appreciate it if you watch the entire season of a show. Um, but it also fulfills that completely. And so in that sense, it's deep that I cared about everything and I had an emotional experience. But what it doesn't have that Dark Knight has is... It made Dark Knight made you question things like is what he's doing okay and you had to you were forced to think about things there was nothing that there was nothing challenging about the Avengers everything was what you already you know the heroes were people you already believed in and there's there was nothing that made you wonder is this what a hero is right um, and that's okay like there's nothing wrong with it like Dark Knight was not nearly as funny as <laughs> the Avengers for instance um, and and it wasn't meant to be. And yeah, so definitely played to different emotional tones. Like again, being a lot more funny, definitely a lot more fun. Whereas you know, uh, Dark Knight's more guttural and like visceral and cathartic. Even I think uh, sometimes uh, critics feel guilty about having fun. That they're like, oh, for a movie to be really, you know, have serious depth, it it uh, I, I can't be enjoying it at the same time. Like that doesn't it doesn't compute in their heads. And I think this movie is as deep and meaningful as it as a movie needs to be but it is also fun and so it, it's it's sort of like when you eat uh when you find out that uh something you you find tasty is also healthy and you're like are you sure like it seems like this shouldn't be healthy for me right. like, um this I, can no longer be good tasting yeah i was actually going to bring up broccoli but i realized some people don't like the taste of broccoli i think broccoli is okay, delicious okay that's weird <laughs> but whatever whatever your thing is that is healthy and also tastes good uh, that's what that's what uh, The Avengers is it's the broccoli of comic book movies and I hope they put that on the DVD <laughs> they, I'm sure they will they will replace the word broccoli with something good though. so uh, that's it for this episode if you somehow you know didn't like The Avengers because uh, you don't have a soul or you know, wow. something or if you want to just email us and yell at all the comic book references that I got wrong at least uh, do that at too much film school at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. stands for different things at different versions of shield yeah. whatever it is in this one this long what is i gotta look it up now yeah you know, uh, let's see shield
Nice. I was going to say, you think that's going to be... <laughs> but then again, I went to a search on IMDb. Um, uh, Bones. The show Bones. And number one on the search result, when you type in B.O. right now, uh-huh. is Bob Downey. Who's Bob Downey? He's the star of Iron Man and the new movie The Avengers. They have derivations of the names of these actors are the number one search things. On oh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. is Bob Downey. Shows up as Bob Downey. And number two, if you just type in B.O., is Joss the Boss Weaver. <laughs> Which you did point out he's starting to look like the leader, but no, apparently <laughs> the boss. And yet just searching any two letters right now on IMDb for the trending is going to bring up Avengers no matter what you're looking for. <laughs> You can write bridge on the River Kwai. I was to say bridges in Madison County. It's like uh, they drive over a bridge in the Avengers. Is that what you were looking for? So I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised that just googling Shield right now does bring up the agency. <laughs>